Oh. Little girl. Umpa, umpa, stick it up your jumper. <laughs> <laughs> there once was a man from Manchester who had very hairy things in his underwears. <laughs> Cycles and misfits. Blimey! Blimey! You wanker! <laughs> <laughs> you blimey wanker! Can you double up on that no, one? No, you can't. That's oh, not good English. You can't that's do a faux pas. You oh, that's blimey French. wanker. You could complete wanker. <laughs> can you have a blimey on your wanker? No! <laughs> what if he was small? <laughs> oh my god. Here at the Recycle Garage. In not so sunny Santa Cruz, California. Oh, it's dribbling down outside. Dribbling. Yeah, speaking of wankers, it is dribbling out there. Yeah, I don't think, yeah. Uh, but you know what? People still come out. That's something I love. It, it, actually, to me, this was a great day. There was nobody here for a couple hours, so I got some work done. You got stuff done. I did. In fact, I made a tool. Yes, you did. I am so impressed by I you. I know. <laughs> you know, this is one of my favorite parts of the garage, and we often say it's... Not so much that we teach motorcycle maintenance. We teach tools and how to use them. And sometimes that means making a tool. So I um, buttoned up the DRZ400. And I put the Africa Twin up on the lift. Right. Uh, to install the center stand. Now, uh, there's one one thing that's great. You know, when talking about tools, YouTube has become such a tool now. Yep. You know what I realized? Tell me. We haven't introduced who's here. I just went right into it. It's because you threw me off of the wink. Exciting day. I know. <laughs> hey, everyone. This is Liza. I'm not a wanker. On the Classic Girl couch, it's Miss Emma. <laughs> Hello, darling. Um, this Speak- is Miss Emma, and I come from a long line of wankers and imbeciles through the ages. <laughs> and speaking of tools, it's award-winning Mike. Yo, what up? Yo! <laughs> Yo, look at these titties right here. Oh, I know. These <laughs> magazines. No, I, I need to put them away, right? These are like 60s titties right here. You know uh, what I mean? He's referring to, it's Naked Jim. Bags of sand. <laughs> <laughs> Naked Jim's titties. Yeah. That's right. I'm ready for the Roaring Twenties. Here they come. Yeah. Bring it on, baby. I like this Roaring magazine. Roaring Twenties. No, well... If you if you really want to be pedantic about it, Jim, the twenties aren't going to start for another year and two days. Not for me. But yeah, I mean, you know. <laughs> Yo, seriously though, this magazine makes it seem like you just go to Daytona and there's just titties everywhere. Just people. Well, no, that is true. No, there is. It is Daytona. Is that Easy Rider? Yes. Yeah. What year? Eighty-seven, I think. Nice, yeah. the Van Halen edition. Oh, that's big hair. <laughs> big hair but I mean, they're just like everywhere, man. It is popping out of the woodwork. So, going back to tools. Thanks yes. for reminding me, Mike. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, so it being a, a rainy day, I was alone most of the day. Pulled out the Africa Twin and put it on the, the center stand. Putting the center stand on is pretty easy. I was saying another great tool out there is YouTube videos. Right. So, first thing I did is I watched a YouTube video on how to install it. And it gave some really helpful tips. Right. Uh, that and weren't included. There actually were no instructions with this. And I wouldn't have thought to grease all these points that it told you to grease, like where mm-hmm. the spring attaches, stuff like that. Uh, so it was really helpful. Um, it installed easy, but the part that's always hard, and even the guy on the video said he was struggling, is stretching that spring. 
And we talked uh, last week a little bit about that having uh, spring pullers or putting pennies in there, stuff like that. So I got uh, a puller. I could not pull that thing for nothing. Right. Were you just doing maintenance? No, I was installing a center stand on the Africa Twin. Because it doesn't come with a center stand, you have to buy one. As an gotcha. aftermarket part. So the first great thing, though, in talking about tools, putting it on that Harbor Freight lift, and I, I was able to lift that thing up like three feet in the air right? so that it was right in front of me, everything I was working on. So that made it really easy. And um, But now I needed to get that spring on. I thought, well, I can call for help, call Jim or someone, wait for someone to show up. Or you could try like a man. Or I can try and build a tool. And that's always a fun, fun thing. Uh, looking around, seeing what what do I got? What do I got? So what I ended up coming up with worked great. I used a, I got some wire, just some you know daily yes. wire. Did a couple spools of it, tightened it up really good with needle nose pliers. My loop. It was about a two inch long loop, and I used ratchet straps, and I attached the big hook because the hook on the ratchet strap is too big to put on the spring yeah, yeah, yeah so that wire is quite easy put it onto the wire which then i stretched it over to the back end of the the lift and just started ratcheting and it just aligned it so perfectly that i could swing the swing arm up right in line with the strap and boom it was right there fantastic so just ratcheting and then uh and then drop it on. No, no breaking a sweat. Well, would would anybody in the room object if I give a motorcycles and misfits top tip? Is go ahead. Any time you're working with heavy duty springs, that means center stand, side stand, to a certain extent even clutch stand springs. And I'm being quite serious now. Wear eye protection. Because a spring, mm -hmm. if it goes boing and jumps off, it will surgically take your eye out. Um, so always wear eye protection when you're messing about with heavy-duty springs. You know it makes sense. Oh, yeah. Good and tip. spring pullers work good. But, yeah, it's cool when you can make your own stuff. What, what kind of was – it, was it stock, like OEM, or was it the aftermarket one? Uh, it's the OEM. Yeah, okay. it's a Honda – um, center stand, which really neat. If we're going to be changing tires out for different oh, yeah. trains, oh no, yeah, no, you gotta have a center gotta stand. Yeah. Anyway, I was pretty proud of myself. Whenever you can make a tool and make a job that easy, um, that's always a lot of fun. But then more people started showing up. Jeremy showed up, and Charlie and Micah and Jim and uh, Frank showed up for a bit. Um, and then the pizzas show up, and hey, it's a regular Sunday, even though it's raining outside. So it was, it was a good day. There was stuff done. But it also gave us an opportunity to take a little time to plan some special content for tonight. That's right. Exactly. Not just that. We got Mikey here. That's right. Baby. And, you know, that's a, rarity, <laughs> that's a rarity in itself. You know, I was thinking back. It's been a while, Mike. You know, anybody think you've had a kid or something? Yeah, I don't want to be rare, you know? I want to be basic <laughs> and average. <laughs> <laughs> no, you are special, Mike. And it's nice having you back for a while. You know, the, your public misses you, darling. Yeah, I don't know about that. Yeah, no, I know plenty about that, darling. You're word on the street. Hey, Mike, I'm looking at you. What's up with Paul? I'm I want to know what's you. going on with fucking Paul. I'm looking at you. Yeah, yeah Paul. I don't know. I mean, you know, you know, Paul's listening to this. Yeah, I um, want to know where the fuck. You know, at. do you think that 2020 might be the year you call the truce with Paul? 
bury the hatchet? Yeah, I think so. In his I head. Don't know. We'll I'm, see. I'm I pretty mean, sure he's going to be up at a, at um at one show. If he keeps Uh-oh. talking shit, you know. Uh-oh. Well, you know. <laughs> we'll find out. No, um, Mikey, you're here for a couple reasons, but one, um, we had our Taintmas party. Hey, Merry Taintmas, everyone, by the way. Yeah. Happy Taintmas. Well, how, well I, uh, you know, it's a sweet spot for the holidays. Mm-hmm. Not, not in defense of myself, but <laughs> it, there was a lot to eat there. Yeah. Oh, I made myself a hamburger. And it was jolly nice. And then I had some shepherd's pie, which tasted of real shepherds. So, so yeah, we had the Tatemus uh, party at Mike's place. Now, Mike, you discovered this this amazing thing in your backyard. Yeah, we, there's a um, there's like a little a plateau. Uh, I live in a complex, and there's like this huge section of um, you know just kind of deserted flat spot. I think uh, there used to be like a playground there and all this other stuff, but it, it kind of looks like Jurassic Park. It used to, um, you know, yeah, there's like broken bottles down there and like, you know, these like kind of ragged. Um, but behind the apartment, the apartment building uh, parking lot, there's a lower terraced area that was just yeah. completely overgrown. It's big. Taken over by woods. Yeah. And the, yeah, there's no like, so there's no trees. It was cleared out like a long time ago, mm-hmm. but it's just been overgrown and uh, nobody goes down there. Even the stairs going down there are scary as yeah, fuck. You've seen them things? Yeah. 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 Um, so yeah, I, I went back there and I was looking at it. You know, was, I was thinking about it for a long time, and then I got the mini bike, and I was like, "Fuck it, I should make it a track for Freya, so we can just go down there." And also, the the little kids that live in my area, they they run around in the parking lot. So I was thinking, like, well, if I provide an area for them, then they won't be like darting out in front of the car as well. Mm-hmm. You know, in between the cars, it's what they do. They play hide and seek and shit. So if I cleaned it out down there, you know, maybe it'll motivate them to go and play. Uh, and and they did, but it took a while. I mean, originally when when I did it, like I said, I had to dig out some uh, concrete uh, foundation stuff where mm-hmm. you, where they put um, uh, playgrounds in. Mm-hmm. You know, all that shit. Break it up with chipping hammers, throw it over the fence, and then I built like a long. Um, I don't know what you saw. One of those. What, what do you call it? Construction fence. Yeah. With yeah. that green shit. Yeah. Um, all the way down it. And so how, how big would you say it is? Like off the top of your head, like 100, 100, 150, feet? 100 feet? Yeah, let's say it's like yeah. 15, well, maybe 5,000 square feet yeah. area. Yeah. It's know. just yeah. enough for mini bikes. Oh, yeah. yeah, just enough to get hauling. There's one uh, jungle gym that I didn't get rid of, but I just got like massive insulation from the plumbing store. <laughs> no. And I wrapped it, it around the it legs. It makes it even more sketchy. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. you got to just graze it to get around that turn. Yeah, because the thing is where I put the fence, like if I were to push it back, I would have to start cutting out some of the bushes and trees. And I didn't really want to get into that because I don't want to fuck the property up. It just no. reminds me of the stories Jim Rice told. Right where they'd have those pillars in mm-hmm. there, and you'd to really get on the inside, you had to just just try and graze it. So oh, sketchy. God, yeah. But the the thing is, like, it, the, where it differs from uh, Bad Math Flat Track is he's got more of like a uh, closer to a circle mm-hmm. or an oval. Like this one's just like a super long oval. Yeah. Yeah. With, a, with well, and you can fall off one side down into a gully. <laughs> yeah. So, so. <laughs> so what I do is like I go down there on the bike and I just rip up like random paths so that when people come and ride they don't feel like oh I just have to do a circle like you can kind of go anywhere you want, but um, you know unfortunately uh, I don't know what it is. No, listen, don't take this the wrong way, but it's it's and I don't know you guys. I know what you're gonna say. It's the fucking women who the drive women. off the cliff every time. <laughs> It, I, I'm not kidding. It was three fucking women who drove in the same spot every time. And the first time I was like, ha ha, you know, that sucks. Yeah. Maybe, mm-hmm. you know. But we'll, we, we don't have the same sense of balance as you boys. No, uh, you know, but 
so I stitched up the fence with zip ties and like you could tell and it was a joke. You, and I'm you've like, got hey, to no, you, you know, know why? Because you've got a pendulum. I do. I do. I a, basically, a third boys leg. Are, no, boys, you've know? got a pendulum which yeah. acts as a rudder. When I'm taking turns, I got both legs. A on gravity the rudder. Yo, both my feet are on the pedal. It's my third leg that's that space travels. You know what I mean? But yeah, so I stitched up the fence and it looks I'll like. I'll bet you did. Yeah, I did. I pulled the thing back together. I zip tied it up. I'm like, ah, oh, it's good. It was a joke. We're laughing about it. Ha ha. Somebody went through the fence. Whatever. Again. Right? Next time we get back on the track, no, like it, it was like a beacon. Boom, right through the same spot. And I got pictures of it and everything. It's like feet up in the air, like like just flying down, you know, and it's all poison oak behind it. Oh, God. So it was, you know, and then I was like, all right, it's fucked up. Then my aunt comes out from, from New York, this little old Thai lady. She's she's real small, you know, but she used to ride back in the day in Thailand. You're Thai, too? No, I'm, I'm Irish Puerto Rican. She's Thai. My cousin's a Puerto Rican and whatever. So uh, I know you like smoking. Dude, Thai. oh, yeah. Let me show you a picture of her. It's the fucking funniest thing you've ever seen. So then she gets out there and she's all proud because she used to ride, you know, back in the day in Thailand on little tiny bikes. Oh, and God. then she's she's ripping around trying to show my uncle Frank, like, yeah, I got this like stonewall face. Just like 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 serious. Like, no, nah, no, nah, it's cool. I got this. Boom, right through the fence. <laughs> <laughs> like, like Superman. <laughs> so yeah, that that it's it's turn two, and then turn three, somebody hit that too. So I figured um we put up a memorial wall and 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 mayor was like nah don't do that it's fucked up for people who actually had people who died and i was like well it's kind of funny when people come so i took pictures of you know because i have pictures of when people actually go like the moment of going through the fence and then i posted them up on this big ass piece of plywood so instead of stitching the fence anymore i just put a big ass piece of plywood so they'll just nail this plywood and, and bounce off hopefully <laughs> plywood's good yeah but it says on it you know miranda raceway uh, in in uh, to our fallen riders who braved everything for for turn two, and then there's like <laughs> pictures of them, and then I put up like other people's pictures and shit there. So it was it was fun because we had quite the sampling of mini bikes out there. So we had the my little electric mini bike, which does pretty good, but it didn't hold power long enough. Um, but those wide wheels did pretty good they filled up a mud pretty quick and then you're just going all sideways and then we had jim's tractor mm-hmm. i i gotta say in my opinion that was the star of the show yeah. just one sound alone yeah i yeah. mean yeah it sounds like a brad gun like it da, 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 and then as soon as you let off it's like like a steam engine it's the weirdest fucking thing it sounds like 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 a construction fucking like like pneumatic like so it actually looks like a steam so this is one of those coleman mini bikes that you can get from like so many different outlets oh yeah no it was good i thought the uh yeah, it was fun. It made a lot of crazy sounds. Oh, and sounds. it's and the 250cc. It, it was it was the 250cc. It was good through the tunnel in the back. So we actually had there were three laps when we raced. The first lap was the first like first turn, the shortest lap. <laughs> then a little bit third, second one was a little bit further and had a bigger berm. And then the third one, Mike had cut out through the fucking woods. Yeah, and like went a into tunnel. a swamp. The yeah, tunnel of doom. The tunnel of doom went through a swamp. So the big burly tires and. Uh, and the eventual torque definitely helped me get well, through there. Yeah, that thing had had the widest tires on it. They're like they're like a foot wide. They're crazy yeah, for a wheelbarrow or something. Yeah, well, I know. I, I tell you this though, the problem. So the the thing was like the turns were cool at the end, and then I I saw like this big ass. <laughs> 
tree and then like i was like you know we could just make this a little bit wider so i went through with like clippers and i literally cut a tunnel out of the branches it was great yeah it's so sick and then and then what i realized was that's like a place where water drains down the hill yeah so it gets like super wet and that's why like right before like as people were there i grab out the saw and i'm like "Eh, eh," cutting out pieces of wood and I just yeah. I slapped them down over the water so you don't get stuck. So they were great. Yeah. And then we had your your little pit bike. What is that? The Coolster, the one twenty five. <laughs> well, one of the so where do you get those Chinese? You get yeah, online. Little, yeah, a little Chinese one twenty five little pit bike, <clears throat> dirt bike, knobbies on it. That thing is fucking gnarly. <clears throat> and then we had the the Yamaha TTR one twenty five the actual like one twenty five only like dirt shifting. bike there. Right? Yeah. Well, no, you're shifted too. Yeah. So what else, what else do we have? When there's something else. So what's interesting is you got the quads. TTR 125, yeah, you got the pit bike, you got the little electric bike, and you got the 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 Coleman, <laughs> the, the tractor tiller, <laughs> and it was really interesting <laughs> to see how Steve each of them did. <laughs> and I, the electric bike actually did pretty good because you had good control. You didn't have to pick a, a gear. Actually, I, I think the electric bike was was the quickest bike because it had that super so? linear power delivery. Because the hard part is when you get into the turn, the turn had like a turning radius of like five feet. Yeah, so it's you tiny. really it's, had to it's break not the, wide. Yeah, you had to really break the, the rear end loose, and also have a lot of kind of torque at the same time. And none of them really did that. The the tractor one did. If you just had stayed on the throttle the whole time and then braked, but I thought the electric one it was like the most linear well, power, and I thought it was fast. Well, let me. I want to say something about that because here's what I learned about riding on that track, and this is what I like to try to practice with my bigger KLX now. Oh, and did we say yeah? It was muddy. This was, yeah, was muddy. you know what though? It, it, I actually thought it was going to be a lot worse than that and ruddy. Nobody was creating ruts, which is really no. Cause... This was just the kind of mud that just fills your cakes tires, up. yeah, cakes it up. Now makes just everything slide sideways yeah. perfectly. It was just fun. Mm-hmm. It actually was good. Yeah, the way to make those turns, like those short turns, is is especially with the MXR ninety, the little one, and it, it's like a, you're kind of like sacrificing. If you, if you're on a mini bike like that, those are the best bike to make those short turns. If on a bigger bike, you're never going to make it unless you lay the fucking bike on its side and spin the <laughs> yeah, tire. So the thing is with the little bikes is you can actually do that, but if you don't have the clearance, then your pedals start hitting. You know what I'm saying? So it's kind of you got to find that perfect space. Oh, Mike, is that you? Are you randomly yeah, playing a video out of your? I don't know what's this fucking phone's a Dude. piece of shit. Well, you know if you muted it, that is that cake farts? Is that me? Just saying. I don't yeah, think I think me. it's cake farts. That's not me. It is you. Who the fuck? Jeremy was ripping around. He was getting oh, the back yeah. end loose, and, but he weighs but like 90 pounds. Though. Yeah, but you know what? Jeremy was ripping on the Coleman. Yeah, he yeah. was uh, all yeah, He loved that. He's a little yeah. guy. So I would say, yeah, that Coleman was actually the, fa- I think it was the fastest. I didn't could, ride that one there. And I see, I disagree with you guys because every time I'm watching people, I'm seeing people rip on the littler bikes, the, yeah. uh, two, the, the 125, which is not quite as nimble as the other ones. Um, and I don't know. I mean, maybe it's just, I didn't see that. I mean, every time I was racing people, like I'd be like lapping that thing, but I think I'm more used to riding down there. So like I'm going to turn. Uh, yeah. I didn't like hard. that skinny little tire in the mud. Uh, was, I like the big tires. It was there the were, riders. There were times like on my little electric gun, I'm going like sideways. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Oh yeah. <laughs> I did a full giant circle on accident, but, uh, but, but, but the fast guys are always fast. Cause when Jason got yeah. out there and yeah. Brian, yeah, they, they were, were no matter what they were riding, they were faster than well, everybody. and and because it wasn't sketchy enough, there was one more element that got oh yeah, added. the ball bag, <laughs> the ball bagger, <laughs> yeah, gonna get bagged. That one's for the kids. That's some next level tea bag. There, there also there, boy. is a rope swing that swings 
across both sides of the track when you're swinging. That's a it was a, it's a, literally a pendulum. And Mike, you were doing it and laughing your ass off. I got on there and did it. There was one time I literally thought I was going to nail Jim in the head. Like oh, yeah. I was like cackling, like here you it comes, That's and you trying. went for it. I'm like, oh shit! <laughs> I had to like lift idea. my feet in the air so I didn't nail him in the head. It's so much fun, and the thing is, getting adults down there, like especially because we have a couple parties and. We have adults. I don't know where the fuck they're from, but all of a sudden they'll come in and they don't seem like the kind of people who want to mm-hmm. jump on a mini bike. All of a sudden they do all smiles around the track. And I'm like, yo, jump on the swing. And they're like, no, no, I'm a grown man. I work in an office. I make a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, jump on the fucking swing. You know what I mean? And then literally like a child, you just hear, you hear him like, wee, like yeah. making these dumb fucking noises. Mm-hmm. It's the funniest fucking thing. Especially just about to take out somebody on a motorcycle. Yeah, and the bikes are going by and it's literally like, you know, but the fucked up thing is I don't understand what Jeremy, he can't see out of those fucking eyes. <laughs> Every time he comes up, yeah, like it's it's like it's like he doesn't realize there's somebody swinging. I almost cleaned his clock. I had to yeah. do a big old foot lift, or I would have totally uh, yeah. slammed. Everybody him else the is wall. driving the track according to someone swinging on the fucking the, the 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 swing. Jeremy's riding the track, and then like, oh shit, there's someone there. Every second, he comes around the turn. The guy's still, the guy's still there. He's swinging the other way now. You know I mean? he's a, he had this surprise oh, look every fucking time he came up on the swing. It was so fucking funny. It was a great time, and I wanted to thank you for hosting. That was fun. Yeah. We, we need to do another mini bike track day. I'll say it did get cooler at the very end of the night because mm-hmm. you know you got to go down these rickety ass fucking mm-hmm. steps to get down there. Yeah. And I'm looking at the end. Everybody's kind of leaving. It's usually just like just us. And I'm like, how are we gonna get these fucking things out of here? Because there was it was steep hillside. Yeah. And um, and Mike has a winch hooked up yeah. to his like eight by eight post at the top of the hill. <laughs> we electric winched him up. It was great. I'm like, yeah, I, I got know. this. But you had one bike. That you did not put in the races. That's right. That's right. We have uh, um, uh, my Pitster Pro, the MXR90. Um, I didn't want to put it in because I've got like supermoto tires on it right now. And I just, mm-hmm. I, I could have switched them out for knobbies, but I just didn't want to get it all fucked up and dirty right now because it was so muddy down there. And, and I wrapped it and the thing's all pretty and shit. So, um, but anyway, yeah, but that uh, the Pitster Pro. Is the first mini bike that I got, and um, I usually take it down to the park and, and ride around with Freya on it, mm-hmm. or, or I'll follow her on her bike because I, you know, I can't run after every twenty minutes. But um, and those are a little better; they're like a step up from Chineseium, aren't they? Dude, that thing is that thing is way way higher quality. Yeah, they're better than the real cheap ones. Yeah, a, a bit more expensive. It's like twice the price, but all the, yeah. the parts on it are better. But anyway, I put like a Trail Tech on both of them so I could check the speed on them, and then I got the idea to um get it plated (laughs) (laughs) so that's that's a near impossible here in california yeah i can't believe they they plate that thing yeah it's a fucking unicorn everybody you guys all have a unicorn what is it a 90 90 what is it fucking 90 90, (laughs) yeah with a license plate so um i got the plate and i was like fuck yeah i mean the thing's electric start so it's got a charging system and a battery so what'd you have to do to get it plated uh well you know I will tell you Lights? off the air yeah no <laughs> yeah. but you have to put uh headlight tail light uh, turn signals turn signals on well it. I got it plated before I got put the lights on it oh yeah so okay you know what I'm saying I'll tell you a little later how I did that okay. All right. but anyway um yeah so I could ride this thing anywhere literally I just can't ride it on the highways what's the furthest you've ridden it since you got it plated uh it's been raining so not very far just around <laughs> right. the, the neighborhood and shit like dude, that dude you have to ride it here sometime I'm going to I plan on doing it <laughs> you think I won't I can't wait I do because I'm, I'm so big I look big even on my big bikes I, I just I couldn't imagine what I'd look like 
ripping down the street on this this little fucking bike. You, you know? look fine. Like donkey. You gotta, you gotta start wheeling it. You know, Jim, you know we have to. Like, take your tractor, my little electric bike. Let's just go for a ride and see how far we get before we get busted. I'll be the only one who won't go to jail. I know. Yeah, true. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so let me tell you what I did. So I, I wanted to wire it, and, and uh, uh, Emma and I had just finished wiring my Harley, done like extensive wiring on it. So I was like, that's nah, pretty cool. I could just kind of make my own harness. And, and I saw that they have pre-made ones, but I wanted to... Um, I wanted to have a little bit more control over it, uh, and 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 I felt pretty confident about it. So I I prepped everything before I came to the garage. I mounted the lights. I put the headlight on. I put all the 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 brake lights on. I tried to figure out the relays, and then I figured I'd come here on Sunday and have Emma do the once over on it to make sure everything's running. Yeah, do the laying on of the hands. Yeah, and and just to look over it and see if everything's right or tell me why something's wrong, and. Um, I got everything running, and I bought this this Trail Tech light. Uh, I think it was no Desert Baja Designs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This badass fucking light. It's it. This thing is so bright, it's crazy. Um, but I didn't didn't think about it. And as I'm riding it around, it started out perfectly. Then when I hit the blinkers, um, everything would flash. The the fucking headlight would flash, uh, and I, and I'm thinking like first thing I'm thinking is like, oh, what the fuck did I do? You know. Um, so I call up the company and I told them what I did and I probably shouldn't have done that, <laughs> but I said, well, well, you know, what do I do about this? They're like, you did what? <laughs> it was like, uh, so anyway, they're like, uh, and I said, well, I think I'm not getting enough power. And basically what it, what it came down to is I thought I was not getting enough power, um, because that stator is so tiny, mm-hmm. um, that it doesn't, it doesn't have enough power for, you know, as, as for the load. So as soon as you hit the blinkers, I think each blinker is like 20 watts. So that's like 40 together. Uh, and, and from what I, I found out, I believe the, the Baja Designs was like 50 watts per bulb. And there was four bulbs on it. So it was like 20, 200 watts just on the headlight. And then when I called them, they're like, yeah, dude, that stator puts out 50 watts by itself. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, oh no wonder. And we couldn't figure out what was going on because, like, it, it was it literally the the headlight would blink on and off. So basically, <laughs> you know, it would try to draw power, right? Mm-hmm. And, and every time you'd hit the blinker, then it was just all types of, of wonky. So Emma said, "Put a switch on it." You know, she said, "Turn the bike on," um, and then hit the switch, so you're not killing the power every time. You know, so you have uh, starting power, mm-hmm. right? Right. So I did that, and then, um, but then all of a sudden, and then she's like, "Change out." get a 35 watt um head unit you know a uh, headlight mm-hmm. so i did they put that on and i put the switch on then all of a sudden uh, and then i get a new stator i call ricky stator i took pictures i talked to this guy mike by the way shout out to rick staters this guy mike mm-hmm. who works there is fucking awesome this guy answered all my questions like he's like here's my personal number and i'm like texting him and he's like texting me back he was crazy and this guy like totally hooked this thing up for like 150 dollars whatever it was you made me like a, the perfect stator. So basically, what you spent on the bike? No, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> right? Definitely not. <laughs> um, so you you got your upgraded stator? Yeah. So he sent it. I put the stator yeah. in. I put the new head unit on. Yeah. I go to flip everything on, and I'm thinking it's going to work fine. All of a sudden, I, I I'm hitting the power. Uh, I turn the bike on, and it's kind of it, it runs great at idle. And you give it gas, and everything starts to die. And then you let off the gas, it goes back to idle, and it's running perfect. Right. You see how I'm looking at you right now? Yeah. And and I was like, what the fuck? You know right. what I mean? I was like, how is this even possible? Like, it should be the other way. Mm-hmm. You give it gas. Right. And it powers up. And then when it's on idle, it's dim. I'm like, and now I'm thinking like, 
my, my brain is just like exploding. Oh, Yo, you like, installed it backwards. Yeah, I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> How, like, this is like, it, 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 to me, I'm like, it's so simple. You know what I mean? You just run circuits and series, whatever, you know? Yeah, you put it on inside out. So here's what happened. Uh, the fucking um, switch that I put on, uh, the it, it was grounded the wrong way. Mm. Oh, I see. Or some shit. Or some shit. <laughs> yeah. Or some shit. <laughs> yeah, boy. So, yeah, I got rid of that bitch, and it turns on, and it runs perfect right Oh, that's away. great. Now, yeah. have, it, have you got the Baja Design headlight back on it now? No, I still, still have that. Yeah, and you know, it, that's a lot of headlight for for even 150 yeah, watt alternator. I want that motherfucker, I know. though. Oh, I just put them on the Africa Twin. They are bright as fuck. Yeah, Dude. but you've got the alternator to do it. Mm. You know? I want it, though, for when we go to Carrizo Plains. And we do night rides. So you can look at my back all night long? And I'm the Coleman? I mean, listen, if you if you, get, on, blah, 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 if you get deserted somewhere and you think you're going to die, just turn that machine on. Someone will hear you. They'll no come doubt. And get you. I think it runs on urine, actually. Yeah. That thing, that thing runs on tears. Those bikes are tight, though, man, those little bikes. I like them. Yeah. They look, they look good. They sound good. Yeah. Balls. Did you do all the, the plastics and shit? Yeah. So I wanted to match my sport bike. Okay. So it matches the Z1000. That's why I put it next to it yesterday at the party, because they're like twinsies. Oh, did you did you check the coolant on your Z1000? No, I did, I, I was. Yeah, clean, I you was need to check that. Night. Yeah, you need to check. I that. was clean until like seven o'clock last okay. night. Okay. So. so, long story short, you have a plated pit bike. I do. I do, and I had to pull all the stickers off that said like. Like must not, not be written. Either. Yeah, this is. It, it doesn't even say for, for like. It says like under for racetracks sixty only. pounds. And, and there's like all types not of shit. Use in California. Here. Yeah, yeah. So nice. Well, that congratulations. Happened. That is cool. You man. do have the unicorn. I have to say, that probably is the unicorn. It's gotta be. It's a great looking little bike. Nice. Well, you know, I said at the beginning of the show that we have some yeah. special content. Special. And now it's time for the first one. I'm excited. I'm excited. So what we're bringing you tonight, a little special thing. It's time for Liza's History Hall. Bob, it's, it's, um, it, it's not as deep as dark as mine. But it's scary. It is scary. It, it is very scary. So um, we thought it's we would... It's not uh, talked about. <laughs> we went camping. I saw it. <laughs> we, uh, we thought that we would... It told you your future. It did. <laughs> <laughs> Remember that time we shared a room? Yes. <laughs> so um, we thought we would all... Pick a, a topic that was near and dear to us. Yes. And do a history hole. That's right. And I'm doing one here on something that is really near and dear to oh, me. Oh, I know how excited I, you I, are about this. I have to say that this is part of of what made me who I am today. It's part of it. It made a lot of people who they are today. You're exactly. not you're not alone in this. So it's a exactly. wiener in a vagina. <laughs> oh my god. Well, yes, that, that that Stop. is generally how people start. <laughs> so, I'm going to go on back to 1972. And uh, I was 6 years old. Perfect time for this, right? And this toy came out. One of the icons from uh, from television. She's holding a toy in her hand, just so you guys know. I have it here. Evil Knievel. 
You know, everyone knows how much I love Evil Knievel. I love what he stands for. I love just the image. I love everything. You are recognized by your Evil Knievel wear I at am. events. Yeah. But you know, this uh, a lot of this, it came from Evil Knievel toys as a kid. And I remember playing with those toys as a kid. In fact, many people played with them. And I think it helped create a lot of future bikers. I really do. Uh, having those toys uh, as a kid was really pretty cool. So um, I wanted to give a little bit of history on the Evil Knievel toys. Mike, do you, do, you're, you're younger. Were you familiar with these at all? No. This okay. is uh, before See, my exactly. time. Exactly. Exactly. before my time. Well, it's funny. The two images I have of early as early childhood Evil Knievel, it's the toy that Liza has, and there's more to talk about there. And it's the never-ending replay of him eating shit trying to land the bike. At, where was that? Was that Caesars? Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Caesars. Those are the two, like, childhood images i have of, of evil so uh yeah, just a body crumpling up it 19, looked, it looked like a dummy oh God. so yeah. 1972 ideal toy company they released a series of evil knievel related merchandise uh designed by joseph m burke of marvin and glass associates so at first they came out with the the toy and here's i've got some amazing things so they came out with evil knievel and you could buy these accessory clothing outfits for him as well. Oh, cool. You forget Ooh. what an iconic figure he was. Um, there was the Arctic Explorer set with snowshoes, backpack, and a harpoon. And uh, A harpoon? Yeah, a harpoon for getting those, I don't know, walruses. Here's one. Uh, it, the uh, <laughs> This one is an Explorer set. It comes with a pith helmet <laughs> and a saber. <laughs> Like, what? Right? That's cool as hell. So, Weren't there cartoon shows about them, too? And all oh, that? there are so many uh, things. So many things. So um, I'm going to pass these around for people to refresh your memories and also so you can see what they are. So um, 72, they came out with the with the with just the action figure. But then in 73, they released the Evil Knievel stunt cycle. And... After this release, this was the best-selling item for Ideal Toys, the stunt cycle. Now, um, they released various uh, versions of it, but the one thing that you may recall is the sound it makes. It's an air raid, Simon and Emma. Go for the bunker. Oh, Go for, for the, the tunnels. Oh, God, no. <laughs> Do you remember that sound? Oh yeah, <laughs> sounds like a sounds like a Harley. Now you could always tell the kids who had a stunt cycle because they had no skin on their knuckles. The <laughs> <laughs> handle goes all the way down to the bottom. <laughs> it goes down to the bottom, scrapes it right off. So um, uh, there was a whole set of toys that came out. First, there was the the stunt cycle, and then you could get the see they had the dragster the scramble van you guys remember this one there's a whole set and it had a jump on the back so you could actually jump over his van jump the van yeah oh it was cool it had a toolbox and everything the stunt stadium the stunt and crash car this car uh it looks almost like a gremlin right <laughs> there's a picture in there and it was made so when he landed it would fall apart but he would be safely inside the roll cage and then you could reassemble it that was pretty cool um the fast tracker that is a weird thing it looks like um a motorized wheelchair i don't know what to call it <laughs> the sky cycle you guys remember yeah, that yeah the one. sky cycle with a yeah. fin on the back with the from the snake river say canyon jump the jet cycle 
the trail bike, the chopper, right? Bitchin. Oh yeah, I remember the chopper. Very oh yeah, well. that thing wheeling. Uh, the Skull Canyon playset. This is cool. It's a like a plastic canyon, and you put boulders on it, and a and a Sasquatch, and he would jump no. it, and he would knock over the boulders and Sasquatch. No. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The pictures Dude, are coming around. Did he Steve, team up with uh, the million <coughs> million dollar man? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I, w- I was digging the CB van because you got the CB <laughs> sounds from that. Exactly. So. Um, there was Stunt World. Emma's the, undressing the doll right now. Yeah, there was. I want to see if he's got a willy. Yeah, the CB van kit. Yeah, and it had like you could hear CB uh, um, like sounds. Um, the Strato cycle. That was the last thing that they made, actually, the Strato cycle. But my favorite, the Road and Trail Adventure set, and it's this really cool like truck with a trailer with a dirt bike on it, and he's like going out into the woods for an adventure. Yeah. Yeah, it's really cool. So I, I could say, if anything, this is this is a little bit like it's a little bit before my time, but I think that a lot of the toys in my age were kind of modeled after these, like the same concepts where you're mm-hmm. like running through this plastic wall and breaking it. But it wasn't Evil Knievel; it was like GI Joe and shit like that. Right, but, and yeah. I was gonna say, I mean, the obvious thing with the costumes, especially like the Explorer costume, he's he's like a half size GI Joe. Yeah, because GI Joe's what foot tall, isn't he? Uh, well, the big ones. Well, there's some right above me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, no, I think I think they're a foot tall. I think so they're, they're ten like inches, sixth scale, yeah. and he's about half the size of that. So they made these these toys for just six years. Dude, this dragster's got a, a parachute and everything. Oh yeah, oh yeah. So the cycle, the original stunt cycle, it was a surprisingly good replica of Evil's tricked out XR750 stunt bike, um, and all of these toys were powered by the gyro powered uh, motor in it um, which apparently they had used the same motor on other to- oh he has no pecker okay thank no. you for undressing him. that didn't take long he's binary so they had used the same motor on <laughs> on other toys that didn't work but then they put it on evil and they worked um, and they just slapped evil's name on there um, they, over the years they cut down on on like um, they had chrome paint and all these extra stuff they started cutting down making them cheaper but the the bikes kind of maintained their same same look so the energizer is what powers it that's what you heard me spinning the energizer um it has a crank on one side and it will spin up the bike's gyro motor in it and when you stop spinning it'll just go and what is I that love, the bike making that noise or is it the gyro the inside the the unit. Yeah. Uh, it's in. Well, see, this doesn't really make noise. So, it's but bike. it's got the crank turning in the bike. Right, exactly. And what I love doing is, so you can um, on the bike, you could put evil in many positions. You can have him sitting with his hands on the bars, but there's also uh, a thing on the rear of the seat so he can stand on the back. <laughs> That's how you got it to wheelie really good. Really. If he was standing on the back, putting his arms out, it would just wheelie and go. Seriously. Uh, oh yeah. Seriously, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's different ways to mount it. Um, so the evil Knievel action figure is about six inches tall. It's a bendy wire skeleton body with a vinyl head, and it comes in many different types of jumpsuits. There's the white one, the red one, the blue one. <clears throat> you get a helmet with it. Um, there was even all these different outfits. Yeah, the Arctic Adventure set, complete with a hunting rifle and an M16 for some reason. Wow. <clears throat> yeah. Most of his outfits seem to have guns. 
Well, you know, yeah, know. it's evil can evil. I know um, he's long dead now, God rest his soul, but he always seemed to be the kind of guy who'd exercise his Second Amendment rights. So, I think he definitely You know, he, he's like a Second Amendment kind of guy. He did like his free speech, I'll say that. Yeah. Um, I'm pretty but, sure he was hunting women. But, yes, <laughs> there was that, and the booze, and so, the drugs, you know. But the thing I'm impressed mm-hmm. about here, Liza, is I'm looking at this toy, and it actually looks like him. It's instantly recognizable. Right. I mean, he was a pretty distinctive guy, but now, this toy looks like him. The toy you have in your hand is not one of the originals. It's a well, that is a repop from 1999. Wow! But it's it's done the same way as the the original would be, right? It is an ex- yeah, it's an exact replica. I'm pretty sure it's from the same molds. What's interesting is that. <clears throat> You know, I bought that in 1999, but it's, it's it's an antique now. It's collectible. Oh, sure. It's 20 now, years old. Mine, we get we play with it, and it's broken. But I have such fond memories of this. And you would, like, make jumps in your yard, launch them off. You know, as an adult, to find out that, you know, what an asshole he really was, it's kind of ironic that he was such an idol to all these children like myself. Um, but, you know... It's so cool! It's so cool to see it, and I've got a line. Um, somebody's doing another round of repops. They keep um, they start to release them, and then they keep moving the date. But I I think I've got a deposit on a couple of them. But um, here's the thing that's amazing too. I've got current values for a lot of these things. That oh, this will be interesting reading. So the original 1973 Evil Knievel stunt cycle. Hey, Jim, if you need a battery charger, I have one right here. Oh, do you? I do. Take it. Um, So the first issue, Stunt Cycle, um, in good condition, 2 to 300, in excellent condition, 4 to 500, factory sealed box, 700 to $1,000. Wow. And these uh, figures are from this year. Yeah. The Scramble Van playset, factory sealed, 400 to 500. Um, Do you remember the AMF Bicycle? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So there was an AMF bicycle. That thing goes for $1,200 now. I remember a kid up the street had one, and this was about 77 maybe. And it had like a fake tank and all this stuff on it. And I helped him take it all off because I was the kid in, 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 in the neighborhood with my own tools. I helped him take all that crap off so he could just have a good like dirt bike. And I remember his parents showed up in my house demanding it all back they were so pissed because they gave him that you know for christmas but um oh the factory sealed sky canyon the 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 canyon sky cycle 100 bucks i might have i might have to get some of these the um ebay's calling you right now trail bike set a thousand to two thousand dollars okay the one that comes in a large box um hey uh, what number are you on jim i just muted you 11 which one is that is that this one 11 11 there you are oh yeah sorry um let's see oh the super jet cycle 450 dollars they made a tricycle an evil knievel tricycle again nice to know what kind of a man he was in real life and put his face on a tricycle (laughs) those things go for 600 bucks that skull canyon set with well, the Sasquatch, yeah. five hundred bucks. The uh, Canyon Rig playset, two thousand. The nineteen seventy seven Sidewinder Supercycle. 
goes to, for three to five thousand dollars. What? Wow. Yeah, that that CB van set. Nine hundred to twelve hundred dollars. It's amazing how well these things. But you know what else is amazing that you can still go on to say Amazon and type in Evil Knievel toy and you'll find pillows and sweatshirts and mm-hmm. and so many things that this has carried over through my entire life, my childhood to adulthood, and it's still there. So there you go. The Evil Knievel toys from ideal that's such a part of my my childhood so that's a great i see you staying up late tonight <laughs> we'll stay up too late playing with your you, you know know. what and I, I think i i think i need to go i think i need to start buying some more Dude, there's that you uh, spend eight hundred dollars on it i know they get a, toy you can't play with in the movie toy story they have they if they re they kind of like have i got i got a one version of his I got character one. i got one in my in the other room oh you do have it yeah yeah Keanu name? reeves yeah, Duke, Duke Kaboom. Yeah, I got, I got, I got the cycle. Yeah, I got From it. From Toy Story. Yeah. I do. So there you go. That is my history hole. That was a good one. What a great history hole. And thank you. As I said, you know, a lot of people really got their start with an interest in motorbikes. I mean, they started off being interested in Evil Knievel and being such a badass dad. I mean, look at that exhaust. But well, that's how they, you know, the 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 stunt the cycle. Yeah, it's loosely based on a sportster. You can see it's. Oh, that's the XR, isn't it? Yeah, it's kind yeah, of it's, it's kind of an XR seven fifty looking thing, but it's got these wild mufflers that stick out the back. <laughs> so you know you can. Pull so you don't crazy wheelies and it doesn't flip over backwards but it looks like a parallel twin right because the pipes are coming out of the front yeah it's got pipes coming out of both sides i mean there's a lot of artistic license going on with this that looks like a parallel twin yeah but you know with the crossover and everything shit loads of fun though yeah oh yeah exactly you play for hours i still enjoy it so mike Let's get back to you for real quick. You sure. have another uh, project that you uh, recently completed, or still working? Yeah, on? it's all done. Yeah, it's uh, I my '96 um, FXST Softail is finished. Um, excuse me, I got everything back from paint, and um, I put everything back together, and it looks really good. Oh, it looks bitching. Yeah, I got the leather out. Um, the bike's called Captain Crunch, so I got a bunch of like uh, leather work on it that kind of like looks piratey and stuff. Oh, this is the yeah the paint job. Yeah. Um, here's something I really like about this bike. It's not just one color paint. Now you can go get a custom paint job, get some flake, get some racing stripes. Um, maybe you get you know like some sort of. Uh, images on there you get people who get like the hot chick or whatever yeah but to come up with a design that's unique and beautiful um that's what's really hard to do there's a lot of and you have that yeah what do you describe that crosshatch in the middle um i don't know it's i I can i could send you some pictures it's i don't exactly know what you'd call it but basically the the lady who painted it when we were talking about it she was like researching uh like ship designs Mm -hmm. and like the kind of angles and stuff that's on there so all of the uh decorative stuff that's on there is based loosely on like you know the the angles and stuff like that of a ship right so you know like there's there's like points on it but then they round out underneath and come back down and the kind of stuff you'd see on like the bow of a ship Mm -hmm. 
Um, and then we were going to do filigree, but um, we decided to not do that because it might be, you know. You got gold leaf. Yeah, we got gold leaf instead. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's really cool. It's like a silver um, sparkle with like candy blue over the top. And then. You know what, um, Emma? I hate to say this, but I'm going to say this is probably, for me, my favorite paint scheme i've ever seen it's not it's wonderful flames it's no, not it's, it is wonderful it's not traditional in any sense but it's also not over the top or gaudy it very much suits the bike mm -hmm. i absolutely love it i've got a thing for blue bikes i mean i i tend to paint everything of mine green <laughs> um, metal flake yeah Money. but there's um my favorite color um and my latest build it's going to be bubble, uh. bubble gum pink. Uh. <laughs> hey, Mike, is that a stock tank on that bike? No, it's a, What's sports a tank car. Okay. Sports or tank. Yeah. Yeah. So but um, it's a great looking bike. Oh, yeah. my God. Yeah, I'm trying to find this picture. So I have this shirt that I got like years ago. It's like this kind of a cheap shirt you'd get from. Um, What's that? The Hollister Rally. Hmm? Bang good. Like, you, know, you know how they have like. <laughs> Like, every booth has the same shirts over and over again. Yeah. yeah. Don't um, tread on me. Yeah, just whatever. And and there's this one shirt there that, um, I don't know, I just got it. But I remember the bike on the back of it. I love the, here it is. Here's a picture of it. I love the way that it looked. Um, I just like the side profile of it. Um, I like the, the height of the handlebars. It just, it, there's every, everything about that bike I liked. And, and, and I wanted to try to build this bike like that so it has rear suspension yeah yeah it okay. does it does i didn't want to take all that off it's a soft soft tail so it's tucked underneath it lo it's supposed to look like yeah a no it looks great got that super um, slender mm -hmm, slender mm -hmm. look to it yeah you need to send me a picture a close-up of that paint job if you can yeah i will include it in the picture so yeah I and mean, that that's what i was going for when i did it so what i did was i took the fender on the back and I just shortened it up a lot, like not your typical uh, bobber style where it's like scooped and sitting right on the um, the, the rear tire. No, it's it, got like a duck tile on it, hasn't it? Yeah, because uh, I did that on Lucky Charms and I, and I fucked up because I can't transport anything on the back of Lucky Charms now because it's, you know, it's a suspension still, but whatever. Mm -hmm. So with this one, I had it, you know, suspended up above it, but I shortened it up enough and then I had to build like this plate on the back of it. When um when right. Emma and I wired everything up, we we tucked everything under the seat. It looks beautiful. All the wiring on it's like real nice, um, and it's largely hidden. I mean, it it there's a lot of electrical stuff on that bike, but all the wiring's hidden, so and it's kind of nice. To me, that's exactly what makes a good bike builder. And each bike you do, you're getting better and better because yep. the better bike builders, it's not the things you see, it's the things you don't right. see. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, I see. The funny thing is, like, I'm completely the opposite of like your um, your stand, like anybody who would like build something to completion. Uh, I think in 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 the scene that I like to go and check out, I, people would probably look at my bike and be, and, and be like, "Oh, it's got this, it's got that." And to me, there's certain things on the bike that I don't want to lose. Mm -hmm. I like suspension. You know what I mean? Right. Um, I like blinkers. You know, I like to minimize my blinkers. I don't. Yeah, I want a front brake. You know things like that so I'm, I'm trying to get a look on the bike that's you know a bit custom maybe a little bit vintage not too much uh, because it's not a vintage bike but you know also what? practical i want to take a moment and thank you for showing the world that you can have turn signals you can have suspension and you can have a front brake and still have a cool bike well, yeah. Oh, and Captain Crunch is a cool bike. He's got to have the handlebars like six inches apart from each other yeah i know yeah those are rolling sand design bars those are things that, that, cool. that's a great look 
But um, and you should share, Mike, that the r- part of the reason it's called Captain Crunch is you're kind of following on from your first build, yeah, of Lucky Charms. You know, it's the breakfast cereal. Yeah, thing. we're going. With, so all the all the bikes <laughs> uh, will be built based on breakfast cereals. Exactly. Yeah, it's just easy to come up with it. Well, you guys came up with that name. It was you guys who were like, "Oh, right. Captain Crunch." Yeah. So then we kind of went with it, you know. Um, but. The other thing I want to say about that bike that's fucking awesome is the uh, Emunit by Moto Gadget. Um, the it we we get put the Bluetooth one in, and this thing I mean like for anybody who's building a bike, there's parts of it that are, are are a little complicated for me, and thank God Emma was there to help out. But largely, like I was able to get most of the wiring done and then bring it to Emma and be like, "Can you help me finish up these last few pieces?" But um, once you have the thing connected, there's so much control. Oh, yeah. Over everything on the bike, like you, you get data. Um, I have the um, these little tire things that you put on the tires, and it tells you the mm-hmm. running temperature. It tells you the um, pressure. It also tells you like you can set an alert. So um, if you're riding and something happens and your tire goes low, you get like an alarm that tells you that like your tire is running flat. If you don't know, um, it actually re- reads your mind. And I, I can hack into it and know all your deepest perver- <laughs> perversions. Yeah. And then you could, like, as soon as you, I can go on the app and just look at it and it shows you, it, it has like this uh, illustrated picture of the M unit. Um, and it's got all the, you know, the way it looks, but like a drawing. And then as soon as you turn the bike on, like all these numbers pop up and it tells you like everything as it's running and what it's using. Um, it doesn't need any uh, fuses. You could explain the more technical stuff about it than me, right? I mean, it's it. It's really it's it's almost an ECU for the whole bike. What's uh, it called again? It's the M unit by Moto Gadget, um, German manufacturer. We know they're they're smart guys. They and it's I think it originally was designed for like a cafe build. Yeah, just to make things really easy, but it lends itself so well to chopper builds, or it lends itself so well to anything. Um, I'll probably end up putting one on the turbo bike. I hope you do. I, I I really do. And and the other thing is, there's configurations for it. So like one of the things that you can't use. So the the way the the M unit works is with pulses, not with like a normally open, normally closed switch, right? Right. Would you say? Um, so all the buttons up on the front handlebar are, are literally just a button and it just sends, you know what I mean? So it's saying, um, it's almost like a CAN bus system because a CAN bus system, you, you have, you only have two wires. You have a high and a low that reads resistance and it works on pulses and cars have used CAN buses for years. And if you've got a very complicated thing on a car like the main ECU for the car, and then you've got another complicated thing like the ABS controller. And the amount of wires you would have to have to join those two together so they could talk to each other, you'd need about 100 wires. Well, you could put a CAN bus on it where you've just got two, you've got high and a low, and it all works on pulses. It's very clever. Be like some sort of code or something. Yeah, exactly. It's, you know, it's, 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 it's the primary language, 01010110. Take the Matrix. Yeah, yeah exactly. So it's like, just like the Matrix on your bike. Yeah. And Keanu Reeves is going to jump out and kick you in the box and secret. run away yeah. well the, the crazy thing is like when i walk up to the bike i could set the limit of when the bike turns on and if i'm within like a certain amount of feet the whole bike just like lo- it glows and then it just like turns off to say hey we're ready for you yeah every time you walk past it i'm like dude your bike's on i'm like no it's not not yet <laughs> and then like the the start ignition switch is literally just one button 
So like you press it once, uh, say, say if like, um, say if I wasn't using the Bluetooth, we, we also put a fob on it. So if my, say if my phone dies, I, at least I can turn the bike on. You know, you hit it on and all the lights come on. I can hit, um, if I hit the button twice, the bike, all the lights turn off and the bike's off. And now that it knows I'm nearby, if I hit them again twice, the bike just, you know, all the lights come on and it's ready to go. If I just hold that button, the bike starts. If I want to turn the bike off, boom, boom, hit it twice, the thing turns off. It's so fucking crazy. So let me ask you something. Is this uh, something that you would use on a Every bike street that I bike build. or just custom bikes? Uh, you know what? I think I, I you know, see, I'm, yeah, I don't, like I don't on a commuter bike. I mean, what's the, the best application? You here? would, I would talk to her about that because I feel like there's so many more sensors and like shenanigans that happen on um, uh, a sport bike or some sort mm-hmm. of, you know, bike you know, like that. it's. A, I can see, if, or you, you, if you think about, say, your Africa Twin, for an example. Which has a lot of electronics and sensors. You, it'd be a very, very hard sell for me mm-hmm. digging into your it. Africa Twin, ripping out the wiring harness and putting an M right. unit on. On the other side of the coin, if you buy a wrecked Africa Twin that's maybe been in a fire and half the electrics are missing... It might be a great way of actually rationalizing mm-hmm. the electronics. But don't forget, on a fuel-injected bike, you're still going to have some kind of engine ECU to run the fuel injection anyway. So the M unit can't run all that. Yeah. The M unit really is a replacement for chassis electronics. Yeah. Right. And you can plumb a basic electronic ignition setup through it but if you've got a fuel injected bike you're going to run you're going to need to run a standalone ecu for your fuel injection yeah. on it and i think uh, that's where it gets like complicated you know. it'd be good on something like say my guzzi because yeah. you know the the wiring on, on my guzzi like all italian bikes you you take the headlight off and all this multicolored wet spaghetti falls all over the <laughs> yeah. front fender oh god what is it um so you could make it very, very easy for that, but I'd still need a standalone ECU for the for the injection. Well, the thing that I that I really liked about it was that um, all the the stuff that if you you can go down a rabbit hole with the M unit, right? Is that you can go and you be like, oh, they have this too that 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 comes from them, and everything that they make is very, very high quality and works really well. Oh yeah. Um, the other thing is too, it's not really. I don't think intuitive is really the right word, but. The way that everything is built, it makes a lot of sense. So, like, they have this, like, little mini um, LED display, right, which replaces, like, say, you know, your analog one, you know, it'll tell you the speed and distance and all this other shit. This thing is tiny. It's, like, two quarters next to each other. But the cool thing about it is wherever you mount it, when you program it, you say, and, and like, let's say it's about two inches wide, but about an inch or two inches long by an inch wide. If you turned it vertical, then you could tell it that it's vertical and it would display all the information going like cascading down. You, If you had to flip it over for some reason upside down, you could tell it it's upside down. It would flip all the information and read it that way. So like everything in there is like it's it, it's very versatile for building bikes. What, what does it go for? Um, I think the Emunit Blue is like 460. Mm-hmm. And then the, the base base one's like maybe 300 bucks. Yeah, they're not cheap. No. I mean, it's a chunk of change, but the truth is, I mean, if you're, if you were to take, say, let's take the turbo bike for an example, um, the wiring, the OEM wiring harness on that bike's trash anyway. Plus, on top of that, nothing is where it originally was on that bike. Yeah. 
So it, it's probably going to be cheaper for me to put an M unit on it than even attempt to get a, a, a semblance of a normal wiring harness. So could you use it if you have an old biker restoring, like oldish, I'll say, you know, like 80s, ascot. 70s, something like yeah, that? Like an ascot? <laughs> uh, no, I think it'd be perfect for, for, yeah. for something like NASCAR. Because, you know, the, the trouble is with wiring, it deteriorates really, really quickly. And people don't realize, oh, this wiring loom's still good to go. And people don't realize how messed up it's getting. Um, who was the uh, guy who rode in a couple of weeks ago um, with his Sportster that just changing the ba battery cleared up a lot of the niggling mm. electrical faults on it? And it just goes to show, you know, wiring harnesses, they build up resistance where they shouldn't. They build up shorts where they shouldn't. And... You know, it's just a really easy way of upgrading your wiring. Um, these days, whenever I do a British bike restoration, I always buy a new wiring harness for it. It's the very first thing I buy. And I go, well, it doesn't need a wiring harness. I said, yes, it does. You don't realize it, but it does. Has it ever had one? No, but it's in good condition. No, it's not. Because it's 45 years old and it might look great, but trust me, it ain't. And I'm very lucky because with, with British bikes, you can still get brand new wiring harnesses and they're not massively expensive. Um, but yeah, you, you, you don't know how bad the wiring harness is on your OEM bike until you change it out. No, you know, I, I'm very much into the whole idea of an M unit. So I looked it up. Uh, it looks like on Revzilla it goes for three seventy nine for the blue unit, okay. which is Bluetooth. And then I think the one that's not Bluetooth is like $3.20 so. or something. Yeah. yeah. $2.20 or $3.20? Like $3.10, like three yeah, $3.20, something like that. I don't know fuck I was that. coming up with those numbers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's pretty cool. It, it's a good-looking bike, but I like that you're continuing to learn. And for me, every bike I build, I want there to be some new thing that I'm tackling and learning. My prediction for Mike is Mike's going to overtake us all in the quality of bikes he builds. Well, well he's going to overtake us all. He's overtaken me a, a while ago. Well, oh, yeah, the last thing I want to say about that bike was the auxiliary gas tank I put on it. Mm -hmm. Did you see it? Yeah. Yeah, so basically what I did was I got this little mini gas tank. It's like the size of a like a large monster can with a cap on the top of it. And I wrapped it in um, leather and I put a, a map of the world on it to look like a pirate map kind of um, uh, with a nautical star on it. It's pretty cool. But the cap just pops up right through the top of it. But where I have it mounted is right on the handlebars, mm -hmm. right uh, above the triple tree, you know, on the handlebar, basically where you put a tool bag. Yeah. So it looks like a tool bag because the front of it kind of wraps over the end. And it's got these gold buckles on it. But um, out of the bottom of it is the hose, which which tees into the other gas tank. So because that was the other thing about practicality is that like I really love a goddamn cool, sportster tanks. Well, yeah, like I love <laughs> I really do love the custom bikes. But, you know, this bike, since I was putting so much effort into it, I wanted to make sure that it would be something that I could actually do stuff with. Not like yeah, just, you could road trip on. Uh, yeah, I could yeah, have a good time. That. So that that's the thing is with the sportster tank, um, you know, run out of gas really quick. Well, you can the do very like least, sixty miles on a sportster tank. So now with this, you can do like sixty three. Yeah, maybe a little bit more. <laughs> but um, the, the the cool thing about it is, as soon as say if the tank's running low on the the main tank, I just hit the uh, the valve and it it literally replenishes the tank. And then I turn the valve off, so it drains out into the tank. 
it tanks, you know, filled up again, and then it just kind of runs off the main tank again. It's it's fucking cool. Cool. Nice. So, Jim, are you ready to bring your A game? I don't know if I'm comfortable with the whole like whole part of the song. <laughs> no, come on, you got to step up, Jim. Whole part of this thing. I'm it, not it's a, I'm time not for a... Jim's history hall. Oh, it's never been opened. It's surprisingly shallow. I went camping with him yeah, too. That's and not uncooperative. True. <laughs> yeah, that, that guy was a good camping trip, though, bro. Yeah, it's it been was, opened. It was. <laughs> well, the, yeah, the Sierras will do that. Hold on one it second. Will. It's the Lysol. <laughs> I was hoping it was some sort of lube yeah. A little something right. <laughs> We use mayo What you bringing for us today in your hole? Alright, so uh, You know, I have a, uh, we, we all like all motorcycles But for some reason I have an mm-hmm. affinity To uh, some of these motorcycles From the the transition, I'll say From the 50s to the 60s to the 70s mm-hmm. I thought that was a pretty cool period That's a of golden, That is the golden age, Jim The golden shower of it's ages The golden shower of <laughs> motorcycling Right, and you can go a lot of different directions with it But um, one thing I've always been Fascinated with, and it was something Liza had Pointed out to me early on, and it stuck with me Because it is something that was kind of Strikingly beautiful and functional at the same Time. Oh, I think I know where you're going with So this, this is heading back Um Actually, it really kind of begins back in the the 40s and 50s, and this is a design, build, and then race some kind of a a duo, a team. Mm So we're going to talk about the Rickman brothers. Yeah. Yeah, not just one, but there's two Rickman. So I think most of her. Most which, of her was, which was the one that was in Harry Potter? Alan <laughs> Potter. I got in trouble over that today. <laughs> now I have a gun. Ho, ho, ho. <laughs> so, yeah, we're going to talk about the Rickman brothers. So, um, there was Derek and Don. They were both born in the uh, early mid 30s. Yes. And they were born into a racing family. And these are very collectible bikes. Anything they had their hands on. Oh, yeah. And they had their hands on a bunch over the mm-hmm, years, mm-hmm. right? So they started their whole thing with uh, their dad was a speedway racer. Mm-hmm. So big back in the day, wow. uh, as it is now, actually, and, and a lot more in Britain than it is here. Seems like it anyway. Um, so, but then their dad died. So oh. they had to take over the business, right? Or else you got to, what do you do if your dad dies and you have, don't have work? You got to right, hump you, coal or something? I don't know. Yeah, you know, you take over what daddy did. Yeah, exactly. So they did. And, um, and they were kind of born in racing. They grew up racing. They continued to race, and that's how they uh, developed their bikes. So they did everything from dirt bikes to street bikes to all sorts of other things towards the end of the career. So they first started um, – so this was interesting from the history standpoint – is they first kind of started racing during this transition where people were taking typically street bikes and just racing them off-road. So you had kind of the beginning of hair scrambles. I mean, start started a little before that, but – um, you know, that's where this popularity came. And then Emmett was the damn Swedes. They oh. started upping the dirt bike game. Oh, those guys. The Swedes. So, the Swedish. So, yes, this is in the early 60s when the dirt bikes were starting to get lighter and that kind of thing. Um, longer travel suspension. So they realized if they were going to stay competitive in this whole racing thing, which obviously they did, they were going to have to end up building their own frames because that's what a lot of these other, other people were doing. So some of the things they were really known for were the larger diameter, high-quality steel frames, right? And I don't know if they invented or the first people to do it, but what did the larger diameter frames allow for? Uh, Oil and frame? Exactly, oil and frame. There you go. So that was one of the things that they first started Mm -hmm. doing. 
I think they might have been the first. You look surprised that I answered that. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've had it on more than, a, more than one of our dirt bikes at this point. Um, yeah, so that's how they started. So they realized that they had to stay competitive racing, and that's what they did. So they started by building these high quality frames, um, you know, and, and some special things designed, you know, for the dirt for them for racing. So the oil and frame concept, bigger telescoping forks, um, more room for an airbox, so things of that nature. And they started modifying. What they first started mod? It was BSAs. Yeah, BSAs Triumph. You mm. know, the Nortons, the 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 domestic product. The domestic product. We've right. talked about this many times before we in have. the podcast. And these guys, they were actually um, competitive racers. So they did uh, hold multiple re- or championships and things like that. They were also uh, Britain's choice to be in the motocross des nations oh. in 1963 and 64. So they were accomplished racers as well, which I think is really how, cool. How is his pronunciation, uh, Emma? No, I think it's absolutely spot oh, on. Yeah, it's go. Polish, right? It's a Polish. <laughs> <laughs> But, um, you know, one of the first things they were really known for uh, is something that was a modified BSA called the Matisse. Yep, yep. Right? And Matisse is Gaelic or French, whatever. It, French Gaelic. For mongrel. The mongrel. Mm. So, yeah, they modified these BSAs uh, and they were built in, and uh, and those were desirable race bikes. Now, so was this the beginning of the, the whole mono, the seat and tank yeah, yeah, and I mean, you know, you could. Re- yeah. It's really genesis for it. I mean, mm-hmm. this is in the late '60s. One of the most famous um, customers for the Matisse was Steve McQueen. He absolutely yeah. loved yep. it. He had a desert sled built out of a Matisse, um, and I think his was Battleship Grey, but just very handsome bike. And you know, the whole one-piece tank seat, which you and can still find. Frame. They still oh come God. up every now and then. These one-piece exactly sets. Yeah, yeah, you can see. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're very popular in America, you mm-hmm. know, because they were 30 to 40 pounds lighter. Um, so they're popular with the motocross people here. So they were, they were really uh, big on affecting how motocross bikes were built. Um, you know, then they started to, well, then some other little things they got into were they were commissioned to build some small bikes. And they ended up getting some like 250 Montessa engines, putting them in bikes and some 125 Zundaps. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right, so it's interesting how they were, and they were basically making kits, right? Basically, exactly. You'd, but I mean, the the idea was. So we'll go back to the Zundap, the Zundap. It was actually it was a, that was a clever little engine, and it was the one to have back in the day. It was marketed under Zundap, Saks, DKW, but it was basically the same engine. It's one twenty five cc, two stroke, of course, five speed transmission, and a solid sixteen horsepower. Okay. Now. That doesn't sound like much, but your TTR125 is less than that. I was going to say, can we get that on the uh, yeah. mini bike track? <laughs> we'll pull a um, <laughs> So, I mean, for a 125, it moved. But like most of the domestic products of the time, it was heavy and cumbersome. So if you were to take that engine and put it in a super lightweight frame, like the Rickman Brothers frame, you had a winning bike. Yeah, it was interesting. So... So they're developing all these uh, motocross bikes, trials bikes, that kind of stuff. And then, uh, you know, the other cool thing about that time in history is what came along in the late 60s that was revolutionary. The sport bikes. Mm. Right. So you've got uh, you got Kawasaki coming out with a Z1. You've got uh, Honda coming out with a CB750. Mm-hmm. So you've got these powerful things. And 
they were smart enough until the very end they were always innovating to realize that you know they got to get on this bandwagon somehow they have to find their place with the super bike it's funny that you called it sport because sport to me yeah. it's super bike. super bike yeah yeah super bikes so um so yeah they had to find their place in the world with these super bikes they did a couple of things one is they began designing frames for these engines mm-hmm. um, because that's where they realized the japanese weren't quite up to where they were at is they you know japanese mm-hmm. definitely had the had the technology going with the engines and some other things, but they would do kits for them with a, a frame and you know these big, huge caliper di- uh, disc brakes, things like that. So they evolved with the in- industry. Um, then they also started modifying Triumph engines, right, yes. with an eight-valve yes. Triumph engine, which added something like 20 horsepower to the existing motor. So they evolved along with well as the japanese came in and they knew there was no stop in the japanese market so they were actually quite you know would let the japanese people come in and look and were quite cordial yeah is yeah that, i got a picture here of the, the cb Mongol? 750 oh cb 750 yeah oh, okay nice. which does not look like a cb 750 no, but it looks like a rickman here. and this is something yeah. i love about the rickmans you can always kind of tell their style no matter what kind of bike it's on there's a definite there's a, look for there's, a, there's a Rickman look, and it, it is mm-hmm. beautiful. Mm-hmm. Well, it's like the nickel-plated you know, steel frames oh, and, and God, the lines. they're just gorgeous well, you, And I think where it really stands out is the fairings also. You know, that you look at the fairings, and they're just gorgeous. But, you know, they're actually available. You can find them out there. Oh, yeah. They're not so, that unreasonable for some of them. Um, would you say that where they excelled was fiberglass? Mm. I mean, you know, fiberglass. Because that whole one piece thing is fiberglass. Fiberglass yeah, tape. Well, I mean, it was, it was, that was the material du jour back then. I mean, okay. I like to think that if um, Derek and Don were still building bikes today, they'd be using um, composites and carbon fiber. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, back Got in it. the sixties, fiberglass would, you know, that was the that was the stuff to That's use. Because your alternative was steel. You know, making stuff out of aluminum, as pretty as it was, it wasn't really practical for mm-hmm. mass production because you had to hand beat it. Mm-hmm. So if you wanted to make lightweight motorbike stuff, you made that out of fiberglass. But it's just, it was of the time. Yeah. If they were doing it now, you'd see all the stuff made out of carbon fiber or just yeah. real lightweight composites yeah. with, with maybe a foam core in it just mm. super lightweight mm. and it, it, yeah because weight was a big deal for them and it seemed oh yeah yeah and it seemed like they as they evolved it went from the frames was always the core of their business but then they were building bikes that the police were using and wanted because they were fat you know these these modified triumph engines because they were just faster than anything else out there they also had a he had a uh, isle of man winning bike in 1969 cool. or they did i should say Cool. So I, the I, I, I love the story, and it reminds me of the Penton story. It's very similar, mm-hmm. and I love that era of transitioning to the longer travel suspension, the lighter bikes. You know, the that whole that that mid to late '60s development of motorcycles is just fascinating. And then to see it spill into the the superbike stuff is just wild. well. You know, we've always faced a slightly different problem with motorbikes than with cars. You know. Um, we're bound to the same mathematical equation. It's that same power-to-weight ratio. But because you've got so much more real estate in a car, you can make the engine bigger. You can bolt on turbochargers and superchargers or just bolt in a bigger engine and make the car go quicker because the car weighs the same, but you've given it more horsepower. We haven't got quite that amount of leeway. I mean, there's only so much real estate on a bike, and it's... A lot of ways it's easier to take an already 
physically big engine like a 750 Honda and just make it lightweight. So rather than make the engine bigger, which isn't really practical, lose a hundred pounds. And now your power to weight ratio, it's like you've given yourself another 30 horsepower, which is great. So yeah. And I remember I remember them very, very well from back in the day. Well, it's interesting you bring up cars because they also ventured into the car market, right? And yeah, and it was kind of Ford, a, was it? it was a kind of a sad end. Um, oh, it gets worse. They made hospital beds, but that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> but their last, but they were fast. But they were rich, yeah. They, um, you know, it was a kit car, and you used a Ford as a base, and it was a really odd-looking thing. It was almost like a shrunk Range Rover. It was kind of very short and kind of boxy, and it was like a little SUV, but long before SUVs were invented. And I think he used a Ford Escort or something as a base. It was a very humble car. And, you know, I suppose it was quite exotic looking. Mm-hmm. Um, but the um, it, was an, it, was, it, it wasn't exactly what you call a performance vehicle, mm. you know. Mm. Well, but as, as the Japanese came on, they got into making accessories, right, because they realized they couldn't um, compete with the Japanese right. market. And I didn't realize that Great Britain had its own Honda manufacturing, so they did all the accessories for Great Britain well, Honda. Oh, cool. Honda are very, very smart. Um, we know this already. Wherever Hondas are sold, Honda will always give you the option of having manufacturing facilities in your own country. So, as such, Honda have a massive distribution and manufacturing facility in England, in Chiswick. Um, and I've been there many, many times. They have a massive, huge manufacturing facility in Belgium, which makes most of the mopeds for Europe. Spain, they've got a place. Um, I think they have a place in Eastern Europe. They have. We've all we know about the Honda facility in the U.S. Um, so each company is almost run like an autonomous company yes you're honda and you're part of the honda brand but you run as a separate company now honda uk was a force in itself it had its own staffing that was completely autonomous from honda if you went to the the baldor i was always very fond of going to the baldor races at the old paul ricard circuit outside paris in the 1980s and you might have four Honda teams. You would have the Honda team from Japan. Then you'd have Honda UK, Honda US, Honda Australia, and they'd all be fielding separate teams and competing against one another. And the bikes themselves would be different. They'd be the same. You know, they'd be Honda's hot ticket at the time, which in the early 80s was all V4-based. But the bikes that have been developed differently because they were being developed by ostensibly different companies. Mm. So, and then Honda UK got very, very involved with the Rickman brothers. And a lot of the stuff was sold through the dealership hmm. um, as almost like a factory offering. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I had no idea. So, yeah. So, you know, so the Rickmans, uh, jokingly, but yeah, then they kind of got out of the, the business altogether, more or less. They made hospital beds, garden equipment, things Designers. like that. Yeah. But, you know, what's interesting is... Um, 
you know, I was looking online. You can still find a bunch of stuff out there. There's frames oh, yeah. for you know eight hundred bucks. Oh, you can pick up a collectible. frame. I mean, uh, so and I thought from a, from like someone like say you don't have you know twenty five thousand dollars to get a restored whatever. You know, it seems like these Rickman bikes are something that are cool and collectible, but somewhat accessible to regular people. Do you think there's one at uh, Moto Talbot Museum? I'm trying to think if there, there has to be one. Right. I'm trying to think about. But it. this is the thing is. that's fun. That's learning about these. You know, now we go to museums and we're looking for a Penton, and now it's like looking for a Rickman. So, great story. Thanks for bringing that. Um, it, now I want to see if there's a documentary about them. Right. I want to learn more. I yeah, it's cool. I'd like. Well, I was what I was thinking is we make it out to AMA Vintage Days, and because mm-hmm. that would potentially be a place you could come across one that's not in terrible shape for maybe a deal. And wait, I tell you, the last time I saw a Matisse with i think a montessa engine was actually at mike corbin's do on the fourth of july oh mm. uh, okay i could mm. yeah yeah it was just and i think it might have been for sale for like not much over i know exactly when you're talking about we looked at it together yep and yep. i i think it was for sale for like not much more than a couple of grand yeah i know yep so they're mm. out there and they're handsome little bikes yeah. i mean the road burners the big bikes the the Z1 base bikes and the CB750 base, base bikes are absolutely gorgeous. Yeah. But they're 20000 $30,000 yeah. bikes. This would be a good way to get yourself a really bespoke designer bike. And, you know, just get yourself started. It's never going to be worth less. There you go. I remember when we were at the Corbin factory for the Hollister Rally. And uh, we saw a bull taco in this guy's truck. I was with Emma. Mm-hmm. And uh, and she walks up and she starts looking at it and talking and uh, and the guy's like trying to explain stuff to her and then she just like schools him on the bike <laughs> like tells him all yeah. the shit he didn't even know and it was like the look on the guy's face was like like he was just like oh a, a woman doesn't know much about bike no this <laughs> this so this funny. woman that looks like the queen mother yeah <laughs> well it. It is interesting that they went on just to design things. Yeah, just designers, right? takes us into our next topic, which I think Mike is about to show us something that I believe. I'm not sure that I've seen it, but the piece I'm seeing, I think there's some design design involved in this. Mike. It's true. You've got a a new item that you want to review. Yeah. How should I start? Should I just hand yeah, it out? Yeah. Yeah. What? Well, let's take the towel off of it. He's been hiding it, so we can't see it. Here you go. Though you put it on Facebook. So, what well, is this? Well, you want to see it in person, right? Okay. So we're looking at a helmet. It's yeah. weird. Wait. Wait. There's something going What's on. What's that in the front? Wait. There's something going on. It. That's right. What are we looking at? Put yeah, it, I, put it on, Jim. Yeah, Jim, put it on. Let me, Something's let me going on. on. Oh, wait. oh, I see mirrors and shit in there. Uh oh. Is it going to flash like a disco ball? Is that a ball? screen? What? Is this like... Okay, hold on. <clears throat> yeah, so this is a heads-up display a, helmet. You got a heads-up display? So it's, it's not light, I'll tell you that. It's not a scully, I'll tell you that. All right, so what did you get? Um, it's a cross... Uh, it's called the cross helmet. <laughs> yeah, so it's got oh. Bluetooth, GPS... Jim and, can't uh, figure out how to put the shield rear camera. It's on the sides over here. It's It's weird. It's all modern and new and shit. All right, so your thumbs, you got it. Yeah, right there. Oh, there we go. There you go. All right, cool. Is this a heads-up display? Yeah, it'll pop on in a minute. It, it has to warm up. It's got to warm up? Yeah, it just takes a minute. Do I got to run around? No, no, you're good. <laughs> Is it comfortable? Uh, okay, hang on. 
<laughs> you know, it's you'll learn how to open it. Um, yeah, it feels it's got a dirt bike feel to it. It's yeah. got like this mouth thing in the front. Yeah, but it doesn't look it doesn't look like a dirt bike oh, helmet. It, it okay. looks shit's spooling up now. It actually looks like a spaceship helmet. You should turn it the lights does. off in here. You like, should see how crazy it looks when the lights off. You, the, the, it lights up his eyes. Like, it's really fucking creepy. Watch on. this. Why am I watching your wife? Oh my wife? god! <laughs> how crazy is that? <laughs> Isn't that crazy looking? I told you. <laughs> oh my god! That is wild. <laughs> is that cool? That is so creepy. Oh yeah. It's just weird. like it's yeah. yeah Only no, your no, eyes no. were lit up. I just wondered why I'm seeing your wife walking around in the shower right now. <laughs> oh so. shit! It's on record. <laughs> you know. Camera. Um. Yeah. The boob tube. Okay. The, so, uh, so it's got a head. Okay. So, so it feels comfortable. It's like a dirt bike. Like a dirt mm -hmm. bike helmet. Yeah. So I'll, I'll explain to you like the design features on it. So. Um, Basically, it's got a heads-up display. There's like a little uh, rectangular box that's just like just above your forehead, and mm -hmm. then these little um, uh, like this like little visor that pops down, and it gives you like a, a 180 degree view behind you. There's a camera mounted in the back of the helmet, like it's like a a, a real small. You should stand up mm -hmm. and turn around so you can see the rest yeah, of us. Yeah. Um, so that's that, right? Oh, and no, then it has like these light up LEDs on the side oh, where the visor. Like, oh, it has pops a backup in. camera in the back. Yeah. yeah okay. Exactly. Um, and then, so where those those LEDs are, I guess it, mm -hmm. they said it's for safety. I mean, it looked kind of cool, like kind of Halo style or whatever. Um, and then the, where the Bluetooth works is, if you notice, is like, do you guys can you see where the buttons are? For me. No, where's the, where's the Bluetooth? Because there are no buttons, button. right? I'm right. still creeped out so, by his glowing eyes. I know, it's crazy. So the, so the left side of the visor, where the visor connects, is actually a touch screen. So instead of pushing buttons, oh. they're, they're, it, they wave, and you, and you have to do certain gestures, and it'll uh, change things for you. No, 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 you, you, you touch it, and you slide your finger up and down. So I'll put music on right now. Hey Jim, and you look, look at me. I'm gonna take this picture. <laughs> this is so creepy. No, no, no. Stop. Put it up a little higher so we can see your eyeballs. No, I can see. A little lower, a little lower. No, it's good. Right I can there. see. Right there. <laughs> that is so creepy. Isn't it? Okay. All right. Oh, I gotta show you that picture, dude. So it, I, I have a feeling that it's on the eyes so that it's following your eye movement. Jim, look at this. That's what it looks like. Oh, <laughs> so Jim, I'll put the music on right now. Um, basically, yeah. the left side right here, you if you want the volume to go up, you just touch it and you slide your finger up. No, 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 the 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 thing that pops out. This, yeah, yeah. So you could take any finger and slide it up, and then you slide it down. And then if you want to change a song, you go like this: you slide forward or you slide backward. That's how it works. And if you wanted to pause it, you just touch that. So hold on. All right, so Jim's standing there, and he's fondling the side of the helmet. Is it on? You know what I'm expecting that helmet to do? I'm expecting you to give an instruction, yes, and it say, that. I can't do that, Dave. <laughs> it really is a space-age-looking helmet. I think I keep I, I keep hearing stuff, and then when Wait, I turn it up, I so think I don't touch it. it. Don't touch it. Oh, yeah. Can you crank it up on that? Yeah. And then I'll, then I'll mess with it. So what is so this helmet has got the the camera in the back so that you have 
a full full view of everyone around you. You get a hundred and eighty degree view in the back. And then um, it's it's Bluetooth, so it's you got music, phone, and that kind of stuff. Yeah. So then one of the one of the most interesting there's a couple of really interesting features about the design on it, which I really like, and I didn't realize until I was writing, was the guy who designed it was talking about how you know, you don't have that, you have a narrow field of view out of the front when mm-hmm. you're writing, right? And you look at it and you're like, wow, that's a really weird design. That's really cool. But the coolest part about it is the visor itself, like it actually goes back to here. So when you start to see out of your eyes, like you don't see helmet at all. I mean, you do see the heads up because it's right in front of you, but you literally have a 180 degree view in front of you and, and there's no like helmet up to here. And then you, you like get your peripherals. There's like the side piece. It literally gives you like almost like a clear view that's where it feels like a dirt bike helmet like because yeah. there's the face is so open you move the helmet not the visor you move yeah. the eliza push the chin up a little yeah. oh i see i gotta get it adjusted oh okay yeah oh yeah i can see behind me that would take a while to get your yeah eyes used to that camera. so i'll tell you so my my deal with the camera on the back and my experience with riding with it so far is that um it um oh that is a trip oh my god it's crazy (laughs) that's a great halloween costume right there yeah so one of the pros and cons about the 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 cons about the 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 helmet is your eyes do need to adjust a little bit because like i guess i I don't really know much about optics but i could tell you this much like when something's really close in front of my face it takes my eyes a second to adjust right and the hud is right in front of your face but at the same time um you know, it's showing you a view that's way far back. So you're looking in the screen and you're actually looking like 20 feet behind you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's like your eyes, it kind of tricks your eyes for a second and you, you do get used to it. But while you're writing, the thing about it is like it, it when you watch the advertisement for it, it's, it's, it's showing you how like, you know, visible everything is around you, but it's, it's really not. Mm-hmm. Like I think the, the thing that I found the, the rear facing camera the most helpful for is when you're stopped and it's seeing if cars are stopping or cl- coming close mm-hmm. to you because like right. the thing is you don't really have a I don't really have a great idea of depth perception with this small screen of the cars on the left and the right side now it doesn't mirror the view it literally it's uh, I think it's um, if you're looking ahead and then you look at the heads up camera what you see on the left side of the camera behind you is on the left side behind you yeah mm-hmm. so that's what's right. pretty cool about it but so you know, it, it's kind of like so you recall I have the I review helmet I put that in there. That actually has mirrors along the top. But it's a similar thing. It pops Mm -hmm. down. It's a mirror. And it's just a very small sliver of an image above your eye line. But your brain gets used to it. And after you wear it for a while, your brain can quickly focus in on it and interpret this small image. Um, This reminds me a lot of it. So let's get right to the brass tacks. Wait, hold on. So let me finish. It also has navigation. Oh, okay. So when you when so you, it's not going from your phone. It has its no, own. No, it does. It does. But okay. when you when you when you have the app up, you punch in your navigation like you do. It's basically like Google Maps, oh, and you okay. tell it where to go, and then instructions pop up on there oh, and tell you like arrows, distance mm-hmm. to the turn, and you know stuff like that. And uh, and then it also does you know voice commands and stuff like your the, general. Uh, and the thing I find interesting that the inside of the helmet it actually looks like headphone foam on the inside it's noise cancellation right instead of, instead of it just being little um speakers in there it, it actually contours and covers your ears oh so it's got active noise cancellation right there you yeah. know when mm-hmm. 
me and Liza had that very agreeable ride down to LA and the blast home, which was 100 miles an hour all the way. I'm ashamed to say I lost my hearing for three days afterwards, or at least a, ve- a huge part of the frequency, and I was getting kind of freaked out about it by the end. It came back. I I hate wearing ear protection. Yeah. Um, it's just so uncomfortable. But... Yeah. Makes a big difference. I I try to wear it all the time. Yeah, I Still know. Having long rides, especially. Yeah, I don't like it either. I've never had a problem with it with my hearing until that ride, mm-hmm. and I think it was just the fact that it was ten hours, just mm-hmm. a you know hundred miles an hour wind all the it's way loud. back. Um, so if it's got active noise cancellation, I mean that's a big deal. But yeah, same question as Liza. Let's get down to brass tacks. How much is that helmet? Um, so right now you can get the helmet for I think it was like it's like sixteen hundred bucks. Wow, or something like that. That is a chunk. Who makes change. it? Uh, it's Defiance or or it's something with a D. So I mean, this is getting up there into the Scully territory now. It, but here, but instead, <laughs> but not like Scully. Here's the helmet. It's right there. Oh, right. come on. We've seen the helmet. <laughs> and, you know, the thing I like about that helmet is I remember we, we had one with a heads-up display in it before, and it was kind of like a little mm-hmm. screen in front of your cheek. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is actually a true heads-up display. Right. It's right above you, mm-hmm. and it's right in your line of sight. Yeah. So it's a far more intuitive. The couple of the couple of things I, would imp- the, they, I think they can improve on, because uh, the whole idea is cool is it is a heavy right mm-hmm. as soon as i held it i'm like this thing's heavy and that, that that's a big deal over time right you know? and if the uh little heads-up display was a little more adjustable it's hard to kind of get it exactly where you yeah. want to see it i agree 100 percent. but i thought when you but you could see it and it was very clear and uh like it was very you know you could tell what was um, behind you and all that yeah and i'm guessing that it was probably a little loose when you first got it which is why you've got that piece of cardboard jammed in there. no <laughs> so it wasn't the, so that's that's the thing is so I, I could talk pros and cons about the helmet um first of all the pros are you know that it's, it's got the camera and it works the bluetooth is pretty good on it um the navigation's really really cool i mean it's like yeah it's, turn by turn like Heads up display is pretty cool. That's fucking. It's really yeah, crazy. I mean, yeah. it's like, kind of like one of those things where you like you always thinking like, why isn't that a thing already? You know. Um, I think the helmet looks cool. I think it's a cool style. No, it's a great looking helmet. helmet. It's not yeah. this weird oh, wonky. They've got thing. that halo halo look. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so the cons are, um, first of all, this this is the largest helmet you can get. Right. Mm-hmm. My head is big as fuck. Yes, I wear like a two XL helmet. Mm-hmm. Most people who try my helmet on afterward. It's like the thing is just like rocking. Yeah, I was surprised yours fit me. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, the size of the helmet, it's actually, it, it's, it could be a little bit bigger. It's not that it's really tight on me, mm-hmm. but like my head is just like, you know, not as small as everyone else's. So <laughs> that's the, the first thing. So the, even, you know, so when you really start thinking about that, what that means is if you have Bluetooth speakers that are set up for a normal person, they don't sit in the same place on my head. They might be an inch away from where the actual ear is, and they're designed to be directional. So it's not like a speaker that's in your room that wherever you are, you can hear it well. It's not right over your ear. It's not as loud or controllable right. as you want. So, Did, Are there vents in it? Does it have like any venting at yeah. all? Yeah, it looks yeah. like something on the top. Yep. Well, and the other thing, too, we didn't mention, cool. it has a very large um, screen. A large opening. And there are a lot of people who say that they don't want to wear a full face helmet because it restricts their vision. So 
And that's, this one is vi- like the largest screen I've ever seen. So that's this, the Shield, other thing yeah. I was going to say is that, you know, when you have the helmet on, like I said, there's like there's nothing in your peripherals. Mm-hmm. Like there's no distractions. There's no like like you say sometimes with our other helmets, like they squeeze right up against your cheeks and you have the padding. So it's kind of like right here. The visor's right here, you know, the, and you're looking out of like a little screen. This one, you have like that kind of wide open view in front of you. So that's one of the cons. The other um, drawback to me on it is like you saying the actual heads up display itself. Um, one of the things I think they could have done better is uh, make an adjustment, like an adjustment on the actual. So, so w- the way it looks is that there's like this little rectangular, I don't know, like three inch wide by or long by one inch wide box that sits like right at the top of the visor. And then this little um, screen just kind of pops down on it. And that's what gives you the, the vision. But that box, it doesn't have an adjustment on it where, like, say, if you wedge something in the front of it, it would tilt it uh, down a little bit more. If you wedge something in the back of it, it would tilt it up. Mm-hmm. It doesn't do that. And I was looking at it, and there's, like, these little knobs on it, and I started messing with the knobs. And what the, I think what the knobs do is uh, adjust the focus of your vision, mm-hmm. of the screen, so your two eyes see it as one. Okay. Um, but I'm thinking to myself, and, 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 and every time I look at it, this screen is just out of sight for me. Yeah. So what I had to do was find like the right amount like of measurement and wedge something between the actual top of the visor of the helmet opening and the box. And what that does is it tilts it down to me just enough so that when I look up at it right away, I can see the screen perfectly. Right. And I was wondering, like, so when you guys had it on, if that would be the same thing for you guys or if it was just because I had a big ass head. I couldn't, I couldn't get it adjusted so that I yeah, could Yeah, so you were see. adjusting the to, screen. You, they said right. when, I, when I, I wrote them about it, he's like, oh, just adjust the helmet to where it's going to be. Yeah, but I, right. yeah, then I had to push the chin of the helmet up to where right. it didn't fit quite right. But I could see the screen good. So the other thing about it that I, when I learned when writing is that the best like more than likely for you to use the the heads up it's it when we're just sitting here like this you're trying to see me right mm-hmm. so your, your head is like level like this and your eyes are right here you don't need to move it around to see me you look at me in a place where your head's comfortable well with this thing what's interesting is when you're riding you tend to keep your head down and look up so it's actually really convenient when you're on the bike because all of a sudden that eight that heads up is not up here anymore but it's literally right in front of you. So it's, it's actually, it, it, you, you'd get it when you're on the bike because like you're like, oh, it's right there. And like right below it is like everything else. So it's like you just kind of like look up, glance up, and it's right there. It's not like you're like straining to look up or looking for this screen right. when you're riding. I guess even you can even look at the way the helmet's designed. Like sitting flat like this, that's not the way the helmet sit. It actually sits like that. Right. So like this thing actually falls right where your eyes are. So well, I don't know. It's pretty cool. Thank you for bringing it in. That is a fun new toy. Like show I mean, and tell. Most of all, though, it's great to see more of these coming to market because the more there are, the the faster the technology will improve. The cheaper right, and get. the cheaper they will get. Exactly. I mean, I I can't remember. I read somewhere that the first microwaves were like five thousand bucks. <laughs> and I mean, now you go into Best Buy and you pay a hundred bucks for one. So inevitably, things like heads up displays, integral Bluetooth. It's it it's definitely for the yeah. uh, more well healed among us at the moment, but it yeah it'll get more mainstream, more common nice. it gets. It's great looking lid though. Yeah. Yeah. Good job. Yeah. So now we come to the final hole, the <laughs> largest hole of all. Nobody, <laughs> nobody, <laughs> does, click, click. nobody does echo. a hole like echo. 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 echo
It's dark. It's the little dank. It's Emma's history hole. Hello, darling. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I had to go inside and take inventory in there, and I drug, I drug out one from the vaults. And you know, I've been meaning to do this for a while, and I was kind of inspired by Jim doing. I do that. The Rickman Brothers. Well, Jim mm-hmm. inspires me anyway. And I thought, oh God, he's taking his shirt off. <laughs> well, you, yeah, you always do that to me. Your voice and. I'm going to do a history hole on one of the other famous British mm-hmm, customizers, mm-hmm. really from exactly the same time, Paul Dunstall. The Dunstall. Yeah, the Dunstall. Yeah. The Dunstall Tunstall. The Dunstall. And so... And, and talk about longevity. Yeah, It's another d- designer that you can still get Dunstall oh, pipes. You can still get Dunstall right. and Dunstall stuff. So um, mm-hmm. Paul was a racer. What a surprise there. Right. Always based around London. Um, and his racing his, his racing career really spanned the 1950s, and he made his name on Norton's. Hmm. And um, he was quite a successful racer, mostly in the clubman scene, in the, in the, in the not the Grand Prix, but, you know, the, the everyman working and... The uh, road racing. The yeah, road racing. This is where people really got their start. So and not the cafe scene. That had yet to come. <laughs> okay. Um, but he retired in 1959 mm. as a racer. And I wish Bagel were here because in 1959, he developed, already developed some products to make his racing career a little more successful and he decided to sell them through his dealership would you like to take a guess what his dealership sold pots and pans ah scooters yes he was a scooter salesman (laughs) there we go how about that um so he retired from racing and he concentrated on fabrication and tuning work sold a lot of the stuff via his scooter shield dealership um but it wasn't you know this wasn't scooter stuff this was actually motorbike stuff and he kind of stayed with norton so a lot of the stuff he sold was hop-up stuff what we call hop-up stuff and exhaust figured quite heavily and fairings figured quite heavily and rudimentary bodywork but you know you talk about being in the right place at the right time um the early 60s, really, it was such a vibrant scene for the whole Cafe Racer movement um, because that's what the scene was in England. I mean, everybody was dashing about from these roadside cafes. We we did a history hold on the Mods and Rockers, if you remember right, and this is really part of that scene. And so you were in the right place at the right time just as... The Rickman brothers were Paul Dunstall. He was making stuff for Norton's. His stuff became wildly popular. Um, sold throughout the 60s. You're, we already talked about his exhaust systems that we know about. Gas tanks he made. Always had engine modifications as part of his repertoire. You could get higher capacity cylinders higher profile camshafts, different carburetors. They're all based on Amal carburetors, but you get little things to make them go faster. Air boxes, seats, tail fairings. You know, the absolute staple of 
cafe racer culture was right there. And throughout the 60s, it became more and more successful. Um, there was a time towards the end of the 60s, he was so intertwined with Norton that he could actually sell a Rickman, a Rickman, a Dunstall Norton mm -hmm. as part of a factory offering. And he was churning out, I think his best year was 1970. And he churned out seven, little over 700 bikes, which is a major achievement for basically a very, very small operation. Um, and these were production racer bikes. He also had successes. He um, gained sufficient notoriety. I'd got a bit ahead of myself. I think in 67, he was able to actually enter the Isle of Man TT as a standalone racer, hmm. um, as a Dunstall racer, which is kind of cool. So um, what else can I tell you about him? He made his name with Norton. Mm -hmm. He also did stuff for Triumphs. But as we go on into the early 70s, there's a shift going on. And the Japanese manufacturers are coming in. And he started off doing a lot of stuff with Hondas. Not so much with Kawasaki's initially. And the reason he stayed with Hondas, they were simply more prolific. People don't realize Kawasaki's, as good as they were, they were not as prolific as Hondas. Um, a lot of people had Honda 750s. Even more had 500 Honda 4s. Hmm. And Dunstall did a whole range of stuff for these fairings, tank seat units, these one-piece tank seat units. Never as pretty as the Rickmans, but... They're a little chunky. What they about were this, a little uh, chunky. Integrated, what about this integrated brake I was going to come to that. Okay. <laughs> now, there's a lot of firsts he did. And the one thing that was problematic with all of these early bikes they were all under braked so if you wanted a bike to go fast you lost weight you improved horsepower if you were able to and you improved the braking now so what, what you just said is go on a diet eat your wheaties yes and get better shoes exactly okay that's what i heard exactly and Dunstall really developed this fantastic disc brake system. It was a twin disc system right from the very, very early 70s. But the wild thing about it is the calipers were actually built into the fork legs yeah. and what? completely rebuildable. It's yeah. forged into one. It's yeah, pretty it's crazy. It's completely looking. forged into one. It's a oh. great looking system. So they're not floating? No, no they're, they're rigid. Not. They're, they're rigidly mm -hmm. mounted um, with cast iron discs. Okay. Massive improvement over the over the standard setup, but they were quite susceptible to corrosion, which is mm. what killed them in the end. Um, again, as the as the Norton Commando developed through the the 1970s, he developed with it. One of the, his most famous things for the Norton was the 810 conversion, mm. which really, if you if you bought a Norton Commando right off the the shop floor. You got like 55 horsepower. That was about what a commando would put out. You could go to Dunstall. You could buy all the customizing kit, put it on at home, or have him put it on for you. And you could get horsepower up to nearly 80, which is amazing. 
and reliably as well. So it's very, very high quality stuff. And again, these are great looking bikes. Is we'll, that crossover pipe stock? So this was one of his inventions as well. So the crossover pipe, it's not really a crossover, it goes underneath. So the Norton's a twin cylinder bike. So the exhaust system would go two into one and it'd go into one right underneath the crankcases and then it split back out into two. So it was two into one into two. It looks like a wishbone in the front. It's of the, kind uh, of, yeah. And there's like another wishbone in the back is, as well. Yeah, the frame. Yeah, it's kind of a cool looking So thing. why did you do that? <laughs> all for power. Hmm. All for power. And it's all for back pressure. Where would the baffles go? on the, on the Oh, right the at end, the back or? in the mufflers. Yeah. And he developed his own range of mufflers. Um, it's funny the way that Dunstall and Rickman went in different directions. Dunstall was far more of a customizer. So Dunstall products you could buy and bolt on at home. I'm not going to take away from his racing achievements and his fully built bikes because they were great bikes in their own standing. But the advantage of Dunstall stuff, you could just buy it out of a catalog and bolt it onto your bike at home. You know... uh, all of us, at one stage or another, had Dunstall mufflers on our bikes and, back home. In fact, I have a Dunstall fairing hanging up in the garage. You do indeed. That and black it is one? No, it's a red one. It's for a CB550. And it is heavy as fuck. It is thick. <laughs> it's thick, hand-laid fiberglass. Mm-hmm. Um, not the best-looking thing. It hasn't got that beautiful, fluid look mm-hmm. that... The Rickmans had got, but they did the job, and they were very, very much of the time. Um, like Rickman stuff, it's quite well revered now. I mean, it's a name that we all recognise. And and I bought it not because I needed it for a project, because it's a Dunstall fairing, right? And I wanted to have a Dunstall fairing just to hang in the shop, right? And I seem to remember when we first met. Um, at the museum, I had one of my old um, Hinkley Bonnevilles in the museum, mm-hmm. the white 2007, and I proudly had a pair of original Dunstall megaphones on that mm-hmm. bike, and it sounded great. Check out this one, the Kawasaki 1100. Yeah, now the Z-Wiz. Yeah, the and looks like the Katana a little bit. It's almost got it. it Dunstall kind of embraced the angular. The 80s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah. no, this is 70s. 70s. This yeah. is very much pre that. So everything that should be curved on it ain't. It's kind of straight edged. Um, and where it should be straight edged, it's kind of curved. They're not the most beautiful thing in the world, but they are distinctive. Kind of like cubism. Yeah. It, it is cubism gone mad. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were talking about the Rickman brothers being able to sell bikes really via the Honda network. Towards the end of his career in motorcycle accessories, Dunstall got heavily involved with Suzuki. And one of the last standalone products he made, Suzuki brought out the GS1000 in the late 1970s, and it was a great bike. It really was by far the best of the super bikes. But... It didn't realize its full potential. It really topped out at about 130 miles an hour. And um, Dunstall thought he could do better. So he took the GS1000, he made a, a very slippery fairing for it, 
change the carburetors, change the exhaust system, put one of his seats on it and a few other bits and pieces and sold it via the Suzuki dealership network. So you could actually go into a Suzuki dealership and buy a Dunstall Suzuki. And he advertised that it could do 144 miles an hour. And that actually wasn't true. It had been independently tested at 156. And that's actually what it was rated as. But this is how crazy it was. They thought that is such a jump over the OEM speed. Nobody will believe it. (laughs) So we'll officially rate it 144 miles an hour. And they, you know, they were bold about it. They wrote it on the side panel, 144 miles an hour. But it was actually quicker than that. Yeah, it's literally on the side of it. It says right under the GS1000, it says 145. Right. (laughs) But that bike would do 156. And that was pretty much his swan song as far as bikes go. Um, He got out. He sold the name to the business in... 82, I believe, he actually bought out of the business. And then Dunstall kind of soldiered on for another three years. And you, then you can still get like MGO still has Dunstall pipes. But they're Dunstall replicas. Yeah. Yes. Um, 1985, Dunstall manufacturing, the actual pucker, the real deal, the Dunstall finished. So anything you see that's listed as being Dunstall is either a copy or is pre-85. Um, and I, Paul Dunstall is still alive, very much with us. Um, oh. And I think he sells real estate now. He's Emma. still based around London. Emma. Yes. Can we, can we interview him? That might be a bad idea. Let me see if I can get a hold of him. It'd be, certainly be an interesting interview. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. It's challenge accepted. All right. I'll see if I can get a hold of Paul Dunstall and see if he wants to chat about because that that's an in, that'd be an interesting thing going from the racing to the manufacturing to the customizing of Brits to the customizing of Japanese bikes. Oh oh oh! oh my oh, my oh. torch is starting to go out. We better get out of this. <laughs> the torch. We better get out of here. The, cana- the canary's dead. Gone. I don't want to get lost. The in canary's here. dead. Oh God. <laughs> Thank you, Emma. That was a great well, one. Well, you know, when it's, a, good, good it's, one. it's a nice compliment to Jim. And there was a ton of these guys, all based around London. Um, <clears throat> there was the Reed Titan, which was another one. There was Dave Deegans, who did the Dresda Hondas. Um, and it was, a, it was all based on a simple formula. <clears throat> if you want to go quick, you add power and reduce weight. And it was a golden age. It really was. I, I was thrilled to have been part of it in my own little way. Nice. Well, hey, we got time for a couple of emails. Um, this is a great one. This is from our friend Sheila in Texas. Hey, hey Sheila. Sheila. Hey, that, Sheila. Thanks for the popcorn. Well, it's, and, and it's titled, The Smartest Thing Liza Ever Said. Uh-huh. Now Jim's Ooh. like, what? Huh? Buy more bikes. <laughs> <laughs> Sheila's good at that. <clears throat> we all have to do our part to save the motorcycle industry. Buy more bikes. She said, I'm trying to do my part. Have eight and still trying to figure out where my Vespa is. No one seems to be in a rush to get it to me. 
I hope you guys enjoyed the popcorn. We did. I tried to get a mix of good flavors and a little something odd. I didn't think blueberry would be popular, but it's just an oddball to try. In the summer, they have lemonade flavor. Oh, my God. It's not great, but not as horrible as it sounds. Um, she says, where's the video of Emma getting zapped? That sounds hilarious. You so know, a lot of people have asked for that. I couldn't download it from... Um, from where it was posted. I couldn't download it. Oh. So I need to get a copy of it to post it. Okay. Well, at the moment, um, uh, um, it's uh, uh, the original poster mm -hmm. of it is away. Yeah. So we'll work on getting it. So when he comes back, um, we'll, we'll work on getting it downloaded. It really is quite something. <laughs> so, Jim, you'll like this. She said, haven't heard from me much because I've been busy at work and home. At home, I've been doing oil paintings of horror movie characters and selling them at a local horror shop. <laughs> they look great. I've seen them. They look really good. <laughs> waiting on a good weather day to paint the Frankenstein moped frame mm -hmm. so she can start putting it back together. She feels that 2020 is a year that she will finish the Frankenstein moped. Merry Christmas to all the Misfits. Merry Christmas. I have a Christmas shout out to Sheila. Uh, Jake's home over the holidays. And then we were decorating the Christmas tree, and Jake proudly pulled out the Naked Jim Christmas ornament uh, right. that she made for me a few years ago. So thank you very That's much. Right. We I enjoy it every year. It's a holiday tradition I now. I have the Bosley ornament with the jingle bells. Yeah. It was awesome, too. It was really good. Aww. So thank you, Sheila. Happy Merry Christmas. I'm looking at Bosley right now. He's turning in his box. <laughs> so you got us got time for one more. What you got there? Um, this is from Karel Bogert. What's the picture? With a picture. From where? And Carol is in Sunny Belgium. Hey. <laughs> okay, here we go. You know, Accent time. Hey, Belgium. <laughs> I have got to tell you. We love Belgium. We do love Belgium. I have so many happy memories of Belgium. Um, we used to go to Europe every year. And Belgium, there's a couple of interesting things about Belgium that people don't realize is... Everything is different in Belgium in terms of architecture. You can pretty much build your house how you want it in Belgium. There's no restriction. So everyone's house is different. They're mostly eccentric. And from a motorcycle standpoint, I believe they certainly held the record in the 1980s whether it's true now there are more stretches of lit freeway in belgium than anywhere else in europe the freeway system is extraordinary and for a young idiot on a js 1100 belgium was the place you could crank it up to 130 even in the middle of the night and just hold it there because you could see mm -hmm. you know it was so well lit because the lights on the bikes were so shitty anyway i'm getting back to the email i got ahead of myself so dear misfits uh I was listening to one of the late podcasts about wheel removal mm -hmm. and wanted to share my simple and economical way to take out both wheels, mm -hmm. considering you have a center stand or homemade replacement for it. And Carol sent a picture of a Triumph, a black Triumph, and it's on the center stand, and there's a strap mm -hmm. going from the pillion mounts, the rear foot peg mounts, down to underneath... I don't know even what the instant span is. What, what do you think that is? It's yeah, like, so... It's almost like a, an aluminum crate that the bike's sitting on. 
Yeah, um, there's definitely, it's a base. looks like it's made of metal and wood. So that the center stand is in the wood part, like plywood in the middle. And then it's got a metal frame around it supporting it. So that in the rear and the front of the bike, you can use straps to strap it down. So rather than having to support it upwards, you can tie both right. sides down. It looks like a metal sandbox. It, it like kind a of rectangular has, metal but it, sandbox. I have actually, I've kind of done the same. A cleverly designed center stand for a bike, and they used to be very clever. They've gotten kind of dumb over the years. But a cleverly designed center stand will naturally keep the back wheel of the bike off the ground. So you can lube the chain and adjust the chain, do mm-hmm. what you have to do. However, if you take the front wheel out, it will balance on the back wheel and the center stand. But they don't seem to do that anymore. But they always used to be able to do that back in the day. Um, but it's a wonderful idea, yeah, Carol. Thank you. Um, and I need to see it back because there's stuff after the picture. Yeah. Well, you know what I like about it, and then uh, here it comes. Uh, Liza mentioned it earlier. Is like when you work on bikes by yourself, which most of us mostly do all the mm-hmm. time. Ratcheting straps mm-hmm. come in handy for all sorts of shit. Right. They actually used it. I did the uh, suspension on the CRF two fifty. I took it in, had the real suspension guys do it, and they actually use ratcheting straps to compress the. Sp- spring because you had to compress the spring to take the top of the thing mm. off and all this kind of stuff and they didn't know how to yeah. do it and com- strap so yeah. fantastic um and there's a ps <coughs> carol is a triumph lover the bonneville carol has a bonneville um has upgraded front disc ebc european brake corporation don't you know oh. um god save the queen yeah thank you <laughs> with sintered pads but a standard caliper it is worth the investment massive improvement up for a single disc brake and weighs f- 500 grams less than the original steel one it's true you know at work because if you remember right i'm now working at seaside Superbikes. for all your superbike needs come to seaside Superbike. bike ching ching um what was it we had in we had a jixer in and it wasn't very old and the kid had fallen off it like a bloody idiot on a track day and he'd mangled one of the front discs and this is like a 2018 jixer 750 mm. And one of the front discs was flapping. And it, so it obviously wouldn't do. And we said to the kid, look, you can buy the OEM Suzuki disc and that'll get you down the road. But why don't you spend a couple of hundred bucks more and put some decent rotors on it? And, you know, our dream combo was putting wavy petal mm-hmm. EBC rotors on it with, I think, <clears throat> braking pads. And I was absolutely blown away how much better it was than standard. I mean, it was just unbelievably better than standard. And jigsaws are no slouch when it comes to braking. But when you actually ride it, and we were lucky because we had another jigsaw in that was completely stock, and we compared it back to back. It's not like we were <clears throat> behaving badly or anything or doing braking contests around the industrial park. Nothing like that. We might have been, actually. Is it is it the smoothness? Because yeah, out of the box, it has the stopping power, right? I mean, No, it doesn't. Really? That's the whole point. The smoothness was improved. Um, the pro- What do you want to call it? The progressiveness? The progressivity? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um everything and it braked harder 
and it was just more controllable. It's just an amazing difference. Um, so I, you know, I buy into it. And I think, I don't know whether the rotors themselves are harder or softer or just made out of different stuff. I mean, it all boils down to the same thing. It's the coefficient of friction between the pads and the rotor <laughs> itself. But, you know, there, there's, there's a formula that the Japanese manufacturers have gotten into and it works okay. Um, and obviously Triumph do it the same way, but bloody hell, so I what, couldn't believe how much it was improved. What's the ballpark cost per, per disc? Well, and there it is. I mean, we were chatting about how expensive Mikey's helmet is. They ain't cheap. Yeah. Rotors, so rotors aren't gonna cheap. Be, yeah. EBC rotors, your entry-level rotors, about 300 bucks, and they go up from there. So looking for, then, if you got dual caliper, you're looking at potentially a grand for yeah. rotors. Yeah, but I tell you what. If you ride hard, you're going to get a grand's worth more stopping. I'm yeah. not trying to do the hard sell on it. Or say, buy your rotors from Seaside Superbikes for <laughs> all your superbike needs. No, it's... Um, it, it really... It, I was absolutely blown away. And having done this for so long... Were you enjoying shredding that, Mike? No, it's not. You know, you like kids sh- over here. Yeah. Um, Listen, I'm, I'm O for O here. We're okay? playing horse right now. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> But it's it is amazing, and we get back to that same whole performance thing. Get the weight down, get the power up, get the braking better. And yeah, that's what all those old designers were doing. Yep. Get the weight down, better braking. Yeah, yep. cool stuff. So anyway, I hey, guess we're done. I, I guess we're done now. Yeah, Carol, thank you. What a great email, and it's nice to have listeners in Belgium. Well, actually, I know we're gone over time, but I got one more thing, and I think it's worth it. Um. This is, you know, Taintmas. Yeah, it's Taintmas. <clears throat> it's right between Christmas and New Year's. It's a sweet spot. Um, and I think a lot of people are going to have some time, maybe New Year's Day, that they're going to want to just rest, stay in, maybe, uh, watch some TV. And I have a great recommendation. This is motorcycle related. I'll get there. I was going to say, go for a ride instead. My two favorite Top Gear episodes. The one where they came to the U.S., bought budget cars, and had a race across the USA. Almost got, like, killed in Texas. Remember that one? Yeah, that was scary. Second favorite one where they rode small motorcycles across Vietnam. Oh, that was fucking hilarious. Yes, fucking hilarious, that was right? Hilarious. I just rewatched it again. Oh my god. Still so funny. That's a good one. Well, guess what? You know, they're no longer with Top Gear, but they're now with Grand Tour on Amazon. And they just came out with a special episode called Seamen. And they bought three boats and had to go across rivers in Vietnam and get to <clears throat> get to the sea. And it is just in par with those other two episodes I just oh said. Oh, God, that sounds good. It is so good. It is so good. It, it is everything you want it to be if you loved those uh, other episodes. It's funny. They get themselves into predicaments. You know they are fucking miserable oh, at yeah. times. Yeah, get tanked they, on poisonous snake They're playing liquor. jokes on each other. Captain Slow is in the slowest boat, of course. And even though it's not motorcycles, it is... Everything that I loved about those other episodes. So Grand Tour Seaman, I recommend that you watch it. It's and, it's great. And do you know what they call Captain Slow in Italy? <laughs> it's the most charming thing. They call him <clears throat> Mr. Slowly. Mr. Slowly. <laughs> Mr. Slowly. So there you Move go. Slowly. Cool. Grand Tour Seaman. Okay. So um hey, 
Mary, Mary Taintmas to everyone out Mary there. Mary Taintmas. <clears throat> yeah, 2020. This is our last yeah. recording of 2019. Doing the Roaring Twenties coming up, baby. Oh, yeah. It'll be a good year. Oh, you know how we're starting the, the new year? We're starting it with the one show. Oh, no, before that. Oh, no, what? On New Year's Day, Jim and I are going out with the Africa Twins. We are hitting the pavement, the dirt, all the things. We're taking dawn, them out dawn to dark. for a long day ride dawn to really to put them to the test. No, I, no, nope. no bad mats? Nope. We're gonna Not, go dead, we are, dead we are going Africa Twinning. I am still blown away by how different those two bikes look. It's the same bike, but they are <clears> so <throat> different in that paint scheme. And I like them both, but in different ways. Mm-hmm. Um I was actually digging the white frame. You know, I was looking at parts of the bike. The white frame looks really clean on Liza's. Yeah. And I think the big tank is going to offer more more protection. I like it. Good look. Right. And the red's a nice color red. Yeah, it is. A, well, and the blue's a nice color. There's, and it's pearl. Liza's bike is, you know, it, it's, a, it's a quality bike, but a very garish paint job, whereas yours is a more stealthy bike. Mine's well, dirtier. But I can tell you, already with the DCT, I'm really putting it to the test. Today, I was doing figure eights in the parking lot, standing up and sitting down, stop to stop turns. And I could not believe how tight of a turn radius and how easy it is on that, that automatic to do that. Were you pressing the gore blimey button? No. <laughs> No, the G button? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> no, we already said in America it's the oh, G button. <laughs> but in so, Britain it's the gore blimey button. <laughs> yeah, so uh, next show in 2020 we should have a, a nice mm-hmm. Africa Twin review and hopefully an interview with uh, Paul Dunstall. That would be nice, wouldn't it? <laughs> and just a reminder, you know, we are all going on mass to the one show. There's going to be five, maybe six. <coughs> Maybe seven. seven of us careening out of control. Yeah, did you tell them to tell somebody last year to someone fuck my wife or something like that when we we're at the show? <laughs> what? what? No, what? I told listeners to, to come up to you and say, "Don't look at me when I'm inside of you," and they oh. would win a T-shirt. That's no, right. they won socks. <laughs> oh, that's right, evil can evil yeah, no, socks. Evil can evil socks. So I mean, <laughs> Barry, and there were some people who were very intimidated when they'd see you great. and your giant head. I'm you like, could actually you see them who? coming. They were I like, think somebody uh, came up to you and they're like, "Excuse me, are you my?" Hi, um, don't look at me when I'm sorry. <laughs> yes. um, yeah. Here's some socks. Yeah, Unfortunately, some socks. get the fuck out of here. Liza will not be there because she will be in London at the Ace Cafe for Wurwur stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, we'll take some, schwa- take some swag with us and we can do Hopefully some we race something. We get in some sort of race. <laughs> no, well, we, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Hopefully we'll get together with Danger Dan and oh, oh Lord, God. yes, exactly. So we'll we're gonna have some fun right there, and we'll give out some stuff to uh, people who torment us. So, so. I, th- I think this is a time to you know, thank all of our listeners. I mean, this yes. is this is really I'm trying to do the most heartfelt thank you for those that have stuck with us from the beginning, for those that have been with us since Ride with Norman Reedus and you di- you know discovered us, for those who found us this year and are listening. Thank you very much. We've continued to grow our listenership, and I'm really proud of that. And we're yep. just, just going to keep doing what we're doing because I think we, you know, every year we get a little bit better at it. Well, we've been doing it for long enough, so we should be getting quite are, good at this now. We're in our eighth year. Isn't that wild? Yeah, I know. It is wild. Wow. I know. So 
on that note, thank you. And again, thank you to all of our Patreon supporters. Mm -hmm. We appreciate you as well. You guys are the bestest. You guys, last show of 2019. Out with a bang. (sighs) Oh, really? Oh, yeah. (laughs) You brought brought the Elkie, did you? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, thank you very much. This is Liza. And this is Emma, darling. Mikey three times. Nigga Jim, son. And we're out of here. Cool. Cool, cool. Cool, cool. Cool, cool. cool.